And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whichever the case may be around this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition, a really interesting edition, if certain things in the background turn to where they are working. We're, we're having some problems, some issues. So if you, if you hear something unusual, um, it's because we're having issues. You know, the closer you get to the target, the more issues you have. That was uh, uh, one of the watchwords back in World War II with the uh, B-29s that were bombarding both Germany and then later Japan. You know, the old cliche, the flak is always heaviest right over the target. Well, we are getting flak. I don't know whether you've noticed the periphery of this show, but we have made now four stunning discoveries about the moon in the last several months. And we've talked about them, we've laid out imagery, we have challenged Abby Loeb to simply do the science, given that he can make a phone call and he can be instantly inside NASA, and none of it has been responded to yet, officially. But unofficially, um, I don't want to sound a little paranoid, but they're coming after us. and. It manifests in very curious ways. So uh, let me begin tonight. And as we progress through uh, the morning, uh, we'll see whether things are occurring the way they have been planned, because we do have some astonishing stuff. Now, for you who are new to the other side of midnight, you're obviously on a probably a smartphone or a computer. Pictures are better on a computer because they're much bigger much bigger and you want to look at detail and kind of immerse yourself in the stunning stuff that we are finding and presenting. If you're on a phone, you simply want to go to the other side of midnight. You're already there because you're on your phone. You want to go to the uh, website of the side of midnight. At the very top, there is a banner which says tonight or January 21st, analysis of the January 10th congressional classified UFO briefing by the Pentagon with our guest, Steve Bassett. You click on that. That takes you to Stephen's guest page. There is a duplicate banner near the top of that. Right under it, you'll see several lines like to listen to the show, the date, and then below the timing in orange, it says guest page. And under that, it says in white, fast links to items, my name and then fast links to bios, and that's Stephen's bio. Click on my name. That will take you to the section of the page directly, no scrolling, so you can actually see my news items for tonight. Uh, the reason I have item number one is that literally tonight, Ron DeSantis dropped out of the presidential race for the Republican nomination, meaning there are only two candidates left who will be uh, nominated formally at the Republican convention in midsummer, and that is Nikki Haley and Donald Trump. And the polls are all showing that Trump is uh, ahead, well ahead. The only state where Haley has a chance is New Hampshire, but New Hampshire is not representative either of the nation or more specifically the Republican Party, certainly today's Republican Party. So the betting, the uh, trend curves, the bloggers, the pundits, everyone who follows politics is basically thinking that on Tuesday in New Hampshire, next Tuesday, uh, day after tomorrow, 
Trump is going to basically cinch the nomination and that when Haley comes in a distant second, she will, like DeSantos this evening, drop out and Trump will be the only candidate on these ballots and there will be more voting as the various states go through their primaries and he will accumulate delegates and then he will basically walk into the Republican convention um, and get the nomination essentially by acclamation. That's what everybody is looking toward and looking at. I'm looking at a somewhat different scenario because there is so much evidence on the table now that our local United States of America political domestic issues and candidates and the fact that something like a billion people this year around the world are also having parallel elections. That's a very large number of citizens voting on earth for candidates to lead them and to lead their respective governments. Everyone is looking to this forgetting, because most of them don't know it yet, that this is all taking place in a fishbowl, better known as earth. That these candidates, these races, these issues, these discussions, these uh, arguments and battles back and forth on policy are surrounded by a much larger reality, which beginning back in 2017, in a front page article in the New York Times, moved from the silly kicker story at the end of the 11 o'clock news to front page gray lady paper of record mainstream discussion, which is, are we alone? Do UFOs slash UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomenon in their first iteration of the new initials, do they constitute a remarkable domestic, mean terrestrial government manifesting technologies that we can only dream about? like anti-gravity, the ability to travel, you know, 80,000 feet in less than a second and stop dead without killing anybody on board. In other words, countering inertial forces, countering gravity, not needing rockets, having unlimited fuel in essence, and therefore unlimited range. And that's not even counting the potential for warp drive, ducking through wormholes, or beaming yourself across space with some kind of uh, Star Trek type matter transmitter. In other words, all of this, all of this provocative possibility moved from Never Never Land to the front page of the New York Times, just as Donald J. Trump took over as President of the United States. And in a gradually steepening curve over the last five years, there has been more and more mainstream discussion culminating with a formal Congressional House Oversight Subcommittee hearing last July, I'm sorry, August, August, last summer, in which a Pentagon analyst, an intelligence guy through and through named David Grush, who had just recently retired, actually had been fired, from the Pentagon office set up 
specifically by Congress to look into UFOs, i.e. UAP. He sat before a live House hearing on live television and blew the doors off Washington, porting that there are all kinds of bizarre things going on behind the scenes that the American people and the world are not privy to. For instance, under oath, Grush claimed that the U.S. government is in possession of non-human biological remains. Uh, That's bodies. That's aliens. And advanced technology. That's beaming, free energy, maybe teleportation, anti-gravity, you name it. And then, as a kicker, even entire UFOs, disc-shaped ships that have been retrieved quietly, surreptitiously, clandestinely by the U.S. government since 1947 and Roswell. And Washington responded, as Washington normally does, by setting up more committees. So tonight we're going to talk about with Steve Bassett, and we're having real problems locating Stephen. Um, we're trying to track down what's going on. He's his lights are on, you know, the indications are that he is there at his computer, but he's not picking up his phone and he's not answering Skype. And frankly, I do not know whether we will have him tonight. If we do not, we have a plan B. So let's assume for the moment that Stephen will come on, because in the last two weeks, as part of this accelerating real world, real politique, Washington ease this subcommittee of the House Oversight Committee, again, run by Republicans because of the last election. All committee chairmen are basically the dominant party uh, in each of the two parties after an election. The midterms was just, you know, a few months ago. Well, like a year. Okay, so the chairman of that committee and members of his committee, both Republicans and Democrats, were treated, and I use that term advisedly, to a classified briefing on UAP slash UFOs by the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community. This covers CIA, DIA, NSC, you know, the usual word salad of Washington acronyms. And they came out of the meeting, which was classified behind closed doors. Nobody's supposed to leak. But even though it was classified, a number of the lawmakers, both on the Republican side and the Democratic side, basically signaled that they were, and this is a direct quote, persuaded even more of Grush's authenticity in his startling I mean, that doesn't even begin to cover it. Testimony. So that is where we are tonight. And what I wanted to do was have our friend and colleague in Washington who has been pursuing the political trail of openness, of disclosure, of revealing everything the U.S. government knows about this extraordinary phenomenon, which goes back decade after decade after decade. My friend and colleague, Steve Bassett, is head of the Paradigm Research Group, I wanted him on tonight to basically talk to what 
given what was coming out of this committee, and he may have more specific leaks, that's why he's in Washington. Washington is the leakiest town on earth. If he does not have new news beyond what I've already put up in the radio with pictures, what I was hoping would be that he would have a roadmap for what is supposed to happen next, because there's a very important bill, a formal law being discussed in the Republican-led House, which if it's enacted as a law, which requires the Senate to assent and produce a parallel bill or sign on to the House bill, then it goes to the president. When President Biden signs it, it then becomes law. And the law will cover civilian airline civil aviation pilots, allowing them without repercussions, without being fired, without being downgraded in status, without being basically benched because they're thought untrustworthy because they're reporting UFOs from the cockpit. It would allow a huge swath of dedicated and professional observers of things in the sky. Like we trust, you know, millions of people with with their lives to airline pilots. Why would not we trust what they see and report? So this law would basically shield them from any repercussions, either from the government or from the airlines that they work with. So we would expect in this era of everybody's got a phone, everybody's, you know, in touch with everybody else, we would expect a waterfall of startling and more important documented new reports from the air, from the cockpit of all these commercial airliners that are seeing countless bizarre things and never talk about it because the pattern was established back in the 50s. If you say something, you will get fired or basically at the bottom of the rotation and you will not advance either in the company or in the military. This law would change all of that. And it's the next step that I want to talk to Stephen about because these things are having serious real world consequences finally in the american people's right under the constitution to know we've been treated like children less than children for decades and next saturday night well i'll I'll, I'll get to that in a minute okay anyway so what you want to do is click on my name under the banner on the guest page and that will take you to these items and as i said The wild card in the plan now that's looking like it's going to be Trump against Biden once again, a reprise of the 2020 election. It looks like it's going to be Trump and Biden again, particularly if Nick Haley, Nikki Haley does not do well at all in New England, in New Hampshire. What is the wild card that could completely upset everyone's projections of this coming election, the campaign, all the other soap operas swirling around Trump, you know, the the indictments, the trials, um, all of that. It could simply be if one night, sometime around October, for what would be considered the ultimate October surprise, the President of the United States 
simply gets up from behind the resolute desk, walks to his left to the bookcase, moves from the bookcase to the middle of the desk, this stunningly packaged tetrahedral framework around a lunar artifact, an ET lunar artifact that the Apollo 17 astronauts brought back from the moon, which was specifically requested by the Biden White House, you know, two, three years ago, before Inauguration Day, uh, when they were going to move in and the Trumps were moving out on January 20th. Literally, one year from last night, there will be another inauguration. Who is inaugurated could depend in large part if Biden reveals with evidence, solid, absolute, irrevocable scientific evidence sitting on his desk that we are not alone. Now, I want Steve to be here to discuss the probabilities of this and the background swirling in the Congress, but so far we cannot connect with Steve Bassett tonight. And am I surprised? So in the meantime, let me go through some other items that are important that are going on. As you know, the last few days, there has been an effort by Japan, by their official space agency called JAXA, to land a small space called SLIM, which stands for Smart Landing Investigating Moon. Interesting Japanese acronym. And the idea was that it was going to be testing several technologies that will be useful in the future commercial development of lunar resources, ultimately a lunar base, lunar commerce, uh, lunar mining, all the things that we do on Earth now extrapolated over the next several years into the lunar environment. Well, it landed, kind of, and then it rolled. And apparently, it is upside down. And the Japanese government, JAXA, have been loath to admit almost anything after the landing. In fact, they have said that their next update would not come until sometime in the coming week. Another part of their space agency said it wouldn't come for maybe a month. And the key thing that the Japanese were testing, so they claimed on this unmanned robotic mission, was a pinpoint lunar landing technology. They wanted to land within like 300 or so feet of their intended target, which means then either astronauts or unmanned robotic rovers could wander away to targets in the vicinity that would be scientifically interesting, but they could not be reached if the landers in the future were landed several miles away from their intended target, which appeared to be the case from the beginning of the space program, certainly with some of NASA's early unmanned missions like Surveyor to the Moon. The only problem with claiming this as a record is that United States did it 50 years ago because when Surveyor 3 landed in that crater, that bizarre crater on the moon in 1967, and then right up the slope in that same crater, there turned out to be this stunning lunar Stonehenge. A second mission, unbeknownst to us, was vectored to this same crater, ostensibly 
back in uh, uh, 1969 to look at Surveyor 3 and bring home some pieces to measure rates of degradation in a vacuum with radiation, et cetera, et cetera. Pete Conrad was able to set the lunar module Intrepid down within a couple hundred feet of Surveyor 3 back in 1969. So if the Russians are claiming to land within 300, well, Pete got them beat by a mile, well, at least 100 feet. So that really is not the, the value of the Japanese mission. The value of the mission was this was supposed to be a small, low-cost, fast turnaround technology to successfully land robots on the moon for various reasons, up to and including inventory of volatiles, resources that would be used to build a lunar base in the next, let's say, five years. The Japanese and others are claiming their landing was a great success. No. Any landing you can't walk away from is a failure. The Russians landed spacecraft on the moon back in the 60s and 70s that literally were destroyed by high winds tugging at their parachutes, and they only broadcast for like 20 seconds. Well, the Japanese slim mission broadcast for several hours on a battery because they apparently, according to the data, landed upside down, rolling down a slope of a crater probably, you certainly not, you could not consider this a success because obviously if you land on the moon, it doesn't count if you can't do anything after you've landed and they can't do anything. Now, they're, they're hoping against hope that they will have something happen in the next week where the moon's rotation and revolution around the earth allows it to uh, uh, finally, uh, that panel, which may be tipped on its side and not buried underneath, to see the sun, which would recharge the batteries, which would allow use of the radio transmission equipment, which would allow activation of the experiments, which in fact might be able to function even if thunder is on its side with the solar panel facing away from the sun. But the data from JAXA the night of the landing said the damn thing literally turned upside down with the two rocket engines pointing up, the solar panel buried in the dirt, and so we'll probably never hear from it again. Again, why after over half a century, why is it impossible for private missions, and now it's graduated to government missions? Remember, the Russians crashed a few months ago in trying for the first time in their 50 years to land successfully on the moon with an unmanned robot. The Indians successfully made it, but that's because they had a piece of equipment which we strongly recommended for a long time, a polarizing camera so they could see where the holes in the glass dome that we have proposed is around the entire moon and preventing some of these landings from occurring successfully could in fact be imaged. And then like with Apollo, you simply go down through the holes. Okay, item number three. There was another mission in the last two weeks, which was wildly, weirdly unsuccessful and partially successful until someone ordered it to die. And that's a very long story. We're going to go into it in great detail next Saturday night, where we're doing a show which Andrew Curry and I have titled 
a piece of the action begins in Las Vegas, and it has to do, among other things, with betting, with who's betting, with the bizarre peregrine mission that this private company called Astrobotic successfully launched, and then everything went to hell in a handbasket. And they wound up crashing it deliberately into the atmosphere over the South Pacific Ocean. Well, item number three is a stunning um, video. You know, I hate videos, so I wouldn't put it up unless it's crucial. By a, a colleague, a journalist named Jordan Wright, who runs a website and a, a video service called The Angry Astronaut. I've always wondered why he called himself the angry astronaut, because the only thing to really be angry about is they've been covering up all the good stuff out there. And he does not seem to know that. But you want to carefully listen to this eight or nine minute video or watch it because he's on camera, because reporter Jordan Wright apparently had sources inside NASA who were telling him that NASA ordered Astrobotic to kill the Peregrine mission. Let me repeat that. He has data that says from inside sources that NASA, even though legally the mission belonged to Astrobotic as part of their commercial program at NASA, that they basically ordered Astrobotic to kill it or else. And the or else was you will never get another cent on another contract. That we will have more details on next Saturday, so stay tuned. Item number four, Astrobotic is to begin formal investigation of its failed mission. Uh, we don't know the time frame, but that's a space news story. It comes directly from astrobotic um, management, and so I presume that it is uh, uh, accurate, and it's going to be very interesting if in their internal investigation they discover that the um, – uh, hang on, let me do one thing here. Okay, let me do that. Okay, um, we've got, okay, so we need to have Morningstar as opposed to Bassett. Okay, well, during the break, we'll do all that switching. And anyway, it looks like we're going to have Robert Morningstar talking about what's going on with, with UFOs. Um, item number five, this is the chairman of the House subcommittee, the oversight committee, which had the classified briefing. There are, again, more detailed reports leaking out of what happened with that briefing. Um, what's interesting is that it seems that a lot of members of these committees, when they have either a hearing in the House or the Senate, or they go on the, on the road and have some kind of briefing, in this case, the Inspector General came to the Capitol and gave them the briefing uh, in, in, on Capitol Hill instead of them having to go over to the Pentagon or to the CIA or whatever. Um, normally, these things, particularly if they're classified, you don't get very much of anything. And you particularly don't get a lot of people uh, showing up on both sides of the aisle. In this case, uh, there were an awful lot of members who attended, which is an indication of how how extraordinarily important these developments are and the fact that we are uh, uh, basically on the edge 
of something quite extraordinary, quite extraordinary indeed, which is the mainstream after all these years, apparently coming to grips with the idea that we are not alone. And it is only a matter of time until something happens and we all find out what it is that we all have not known for decades. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Through the best Please close your eyes and concentrate with every thought you think upon the recitation we're about to Welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight for this Sunday night. 
January 21st, 2024. And I believe we have Robert Morningstar on the line. Robert, are you there? Unmuting helps. I see him on my screen. Yes, I am here. There you are. There you are. Okay. Okay, so what's wrong with Steve? Why can't we get Steve? You well, he had trouble with his internet uh, oh. earlier today. Oh, well, he was on your show, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Hold on a second. Okay, I'm, 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 you're breaking up too. Maybe someone does not want us to talk about this stuff. Ah, no, come on. I'm, I'm actually finishing up a chess game that, that I'm going to have to. Okay. Oh, I know what's happening. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. Hold on. I'm I'm listening. I was listening to the show, so you're getting that feedback. So anyway, uh, it was really a, a comedy, <laughs> the first uh, part of the show, because uh, he couldn't hear me, and it took about 15 minutes uh, before I was able to figure out using algebra that I could call him up on the phone, or he could call me on the phone. So I used my phone as the audio uh, feeding the microphone for the broadcast and uh, actually I'm a little bit worried because uh, Stephen had uh, a cramp while he was on the show and it was uh, unpleasant oh no yeah he had a very severe cramp and I was worried about um, you know complications so he may not be feeling well I hope he is well because uh, he's a great man. Yeah. He, well, he's do- been at this for decades. He's been at it uh, almost as long as I've been at the artifact side of the house. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, again, this is when everything is hitting the rotating kitchen appliance. Exactly. You know, I, I don't see the opposition as going away. I think they're not going to go down with a knockdown, drag out fight. They will use every tool, every uh, avenue, every surrogate every disinformation component to try to keep people from realizing how stunningly real all this is and what it's going to mean for humanity absolutely well it's a big uh as i call it uh horse and pony show and uh a dog and pony show yeah that's a, that's the a cliche yes dog yeah, and that's pony. A cliche and it is a cliche the problem as I told Stephen, is that the U.S. government has legislated itself into a terrible situation, which is it has lied for so long to the American people that it does not know how to tell the truth anymore. Wait a minute. You mean it doesn't know how or it doesn't know which part of their lies is the truth? Because remember, we're, we're talking generate at least a generation, maybe two after Roswell, after the formal beginning of this thing back in 1947. You know, right. I was only two years old, so I wasn't there. If there's, if, you know, there's such a thing as what they call institutional memory. Mm-hmm. In the UFO field, in the U.S. government, in the Air Force, starting primarily, maybe shifting to the Navy, there are, you know, elements of that in, in play. It may be that the current minders, the current spokespeople, the current, you know, like the idiot Air Force guy who talked about uh, time compression and crash dummies. It mm-hmm. may be that there are so many layers of lies that they can't find out where the truth is hiding. 
Well, that's what the um, the Congress people insinuated that it's so compartmentalized that no one really knows the entire, <laughs> the entire truth. And uh, see, now we're means- o- we're only talking UFOs, you know, ETs that go bump in the night and ships and glowing lights and spinning discs and all that. That's why oh. I, for decades, have maintained a second track, which is the artifacts. Because the artifacts stand still. They're all over the solar system. We have tons of carefully calibrated and documented imagery, courtesy of our friendly local neighborhood space agency, i.e. NASA. And all we have to do to find out what's out there or who's out there is look to the artifacts. And then you build back to the... I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong. I don't think it has to do with artifacts. It has to do... Not just with UFOs, it has to do with non-human intelligences, and that is a specific topic that the government dreads because they would. But, have but to if be, you can't politically get at it through the UFOs or the non-human guys directly, if you go through the back door, which is we have all this evidence that we're not alone, you can't have artifacts surrounding you in the solar system unless somebody built them. Well, those artifacts are not accepted by science, so I think we should. Put They've that set on. up an entire office at NASA headquarters to yeah, look but, now at artifacts. But who's, who's paying attention to it? Everybody's talking about UFOs. And we are human. Well, we, you are, but you're not the government, and you're not the Congress, and they're not interested in artifacts. Quite plain and simply, they are irrelevant. The fact is, and they weren't UFOs interested in UFOs. They weren't interested. UFOs Robert, are in Robert, Robert. They weren't interested in UFOs until one day they were. The same thing will happen with the artifacts that we have documented. Artifacts are dead. UFOs are alive. Okay, that's the important difference. Yeah, an artifact, artifact will tell you the truth. Hundred thousand years artifacts ago, artifacts will tell. hundred thousand years ago, we're you know, not. We can't we're keep, dealing with living things. We can't keep talking over each other. Okay. Artifacts, well, artifacts will tell you the truth. Live ETs will lie, or they have the potential to lie. And how artifacts can... due to interpretation, and your interpretation may be at variance with Avi Loeb or John Brandenburg or any number of scientists. And there is a, an obstruction in science to block any, any knowledge of antecedent civilizations, and I don't think it's going to go that way. So we should stick to UFOs and non-human intelligences and reverse Well, obviously, I totally disagree. I think the idea, uh, NASA's mantra, which is no single point failure, we need to pursue both. And the fact that there is now a formal legislative bureaucratic office in NASA specifically looking at UAP and as a subset, an office devoted to artifacts see up until now we didn't have a place to take our data now we have a place to take the data where the public is the is the uh, referee because if nasa doesn't deal with the data honestly that will come out we were at the beginning of a whole new ball game that's going to take ages and it's not going to happen this year next year you're going to have to go through vetting of all of your proofs yeah of course and they don't, they don't want to allow your proofs. They science. didn't want to allow UFOs, and then look where we are tonight. Yeah, well, UFOs have intruded very rudely into people's reality for 80 years, and your artifacts have been sitting on the moon for 100,000 years. And the only people that really pay attention to it 
are you, me, Andrew, Ron Gibran, and we have no status. That's not exactly correct, okay? Um, okay I'm going gonna, gonna to be doing another network show next week with several million people. I'm going to be talking about our Abby Loeb challenge. Abby, he can run, but he can't hide. Yeah, but he does ignore you. I mean, how long have you been trying to get him? You have personal people contacting him. He's not going to... I am very not, persistent, and we will win. I know you're persistent. We will win. It just will take time. Yeah, but it's not going to... It takes 100,000 years with artifacts. Because, it, look, science has institutionalized a, a policy. Evolutionary theory is a cornerstone of science. To admit artifacts on the moon or on Mars or any other planet is to admit that evolution is a fraud. Okay, let me, let me give you an example of why this might break wide open much sooner than you think. Let's assume day after day after tomorrow that ETs swooping around the Earth in vehicles, contacting people, landing, leaving, leaving inscrutable messages, inscrutable contacts, all that. Let's suppose that becomes common knowledge. How would that happen? Either through whistleblowers like Grush, many more Grushes, and or the production suddenly of physical artifacts like ships, technology, a bread box device that you plug in your, your fan and toaster and it runs forever. That would get people to sit up and pay attention because it will hit their pocketbook. People are desperate now in terms of living expenses, power, heat, light in the winter, particularly in New England, something that radically changed the current technology that came from an ET uh, database or archive you know, uh, of, of secret government technology they purloined, that could change everything. And then the, 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 you know, the piece of resistance would be an actual ET alien looking suspiciously human sitting in front of a Senate or House committee on Capitol Hill testifying I'm from so-and-so, I came so many thousand light years, we've been trying to figure you guys out for a long... In other words, that would change everything, right? It would, but precisely why they don't want to change everything, because the power structure on this planet is based on the current technology. Remember what uh, J.P. Morgan said to uh, Tesla when he said, hey, I can provide people with free energy wirelessly. He said, where are we going to put the meter? Well, that is still the attitude, because the... New World Order, Davos, WEF, all of these power groups have a vested interest in the status quo, and they are loath to uh, change it. The other thing is the aerospace, uh, military aerospace industry has a monopoly on it, and they have been bilking the U.S. taxpayer, the U.S. Treasury, for trillions of dollars over the last 80 years on these secret projects. And so... They don't want to do it because they will lose their power. Con Edison, well, but what you're basically doing, what, what, Robert, what you're painting is the Kobayashi Maru, the no-win scenario. If it's true mm-hmm. that nothing will ever change, then why are we having the conversation? Why don't we all go and watch you know, something tonight on television and just let people go back to their lives if it's never going to change? Well... Taking up the Kobayashi Maru scenario, we have to find out where the uh, central computer is and change that uh, program. And I think that's going to be... Wait, but what do you mean? Is, is that a metaphor or do you mean that little... Yeah, that's a metaphor. The Kobayashi Maru uh, paradox was resolved by Captain Kirk. Oh, he yeah, broke... he changed the program. 
You change the program. Well, that's what Stephen is trying to do politically and what I'm trying to do you know, in my arena with colleagues. We're trying to change the program. The fact this subject has gone from yawning at the bottom of the 11th hour news to where every day there's a new breaking story. There are people on Capitol Hill who are determined. Again, Republicans and Democrats working together because they both realize they've been snookered and there's nothing madder than a congressman who thinks he's God who discovers he's not. And at the hands of the deep state or the military-industrial complex, as Eisenhower warned us about, we have been deep-sixed for decades. And there is going to be hell to pay because these people are not going to quietly go back into their stalls. They have the power of the purse. They have the power of the people. And they're on the right side of God. And it's both sides of the aisle where you can't get, you know, Republicans and Democrats to agree on the weather in Washington these days. On this, they both came out of that meeting and obliquely, with side glances, basically said Russia's credibility was increased, not decreased, by this briefing. And that's all you need to know. They've got the bit in their teeth, and they're going to keep going. And we're going to keep helping, and ultimately the castle will fall. Yes, there will be hell to pay, and that's what they're afraid of. The people who have kept. But the there's cover- more of us than them. That's what yeah, democracies are about. Power. Yeah, if democracy is allowed to play out, but democracy I- is being undermined. Okay, I don't, ra- want, ra- I don't ra- want to get into a discussion of politics. I came here to talk. But about it's part of politics. Yeah. It's not going to change without politics, Robert. Anyway, Ron Gerbron, our re- hang on, Ron, our resident generalist mm-hmm. has joined the conversation. We still can't find Stephen. Ron, you want to say something? Uh, yeah. In the last five minutes, uh, as I was, uh, Keith was trying to hook me up here. You went from talking about disclosure to pure distilled politics and we have to argue just like you have to fight with the uh the war where you are you have to uh we have to argue on the level of the situation that we have some control over and robert i heard you say that artifacts don't matter nobody cares well i don't find that to be the case and opinions don't have more power in the general circumstances than items do we can't go up and grab a brick off of an ancient ruin and throw it at somebody, but uh, not yet. Moment, but we'll get yes, there. We'll, exactly, we'll get yes, there. But this can. business about UFO reports—nobody has a UFO in their backyard. Uh, Joan of Arc fought under a sky full of interested visitors from somewhere else. That's right. They decided. They looked. At, everyone looked up. Had no idea what they were seeing because shields and swords did not fly yeah. in those days. And they were looking at that, but they only described them as what they could think they were. But that did not move it forward. It did not convince anybody they were extraterrestrials. Well, neither has the face on Mars. We've been looking at face on Mars since 1976. I have a thousand other ruins. Don't blame me if if everybody's focused on one thing that we can't demonstrate. The face on Mars, to most people, it's just like weird. That's because of a very well-funded disinformation campaign by the U.S. government under the aegis of NASA. NASA has now politically changed 180. They've set up an office to look at artifacts. 
all we and our colleagues all over the world, there are people looking at artifacts. It's not just us. Look at the YouTube, you know, videos that people put out constantly. Every Perseverance image is analyzed, every Curiosity image, every MRO image, every LRO image. We have created a cottage industry. But up until this last six months, it didn't have a legal home to go to. Now it does. There's an office in NASA that's supposed to look at scientifically artifacts. You don't think that when we bring this to the attention of Burchette and company, they will leap on it because it's an end run around the stalling about ETs because if they're artifacts, there have to be ETs who built them at some point. And now you connect the two dots. They're not back then. They're running around now. It's not a big leap. Once you have set the idea that they are out there, whether they're out there 100,000 years ago or as the data says, they're out there and they're here now, that builds a political wedge of real people, taxpayers, who will demand more and more involvement in this question and answers. That's the only reason we're getting any progress at all in Washington, because of the political involvement of representatives, of citizens of the United States. Well, good luck with that. I think they'll just say ho-hum. It doesn't deal with UFOs. And that is your opinion. Of course, it's it's your opinion. No, I have science. Fair on this program, just expressing opinions, Richard. It's not. No, I have tons of data just like Ron. And we have all different yeah. forums to present data. You know, we've got conferences, thousands of hours of conference materials. It just requires a, to be a signal in the noise to where people pay attention and realize the middle of the curve that this is not just nonsense. There's real stuff that's tangible that someday you can go and touch. And we haven't even mentioned Elon Musk yet. Remember, there are two space programs. There's the NASA program, and then there's the U.S. Elon Musk program, SpaceX. He is going to the moon. Hey, hey Robert, can I I ask you a clarification here? Sure. Uh, Friend, Uh, 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 these UFO sightings and claims and achievements, how are they going to change anything? Because nobody, Avi Loeb aside, uh, just won't pick on him for the moment. Uh, the uh, yeah, you can make all anyone. I'm not accusing you of starting all this. Uh, anyone can make all these claims about uh, reptilians and Arcturians and insect people and um, the Pleiades have been watching over us and so on and so forth. That's all very nice. Accommodates people with the idea that there are external civilizations but when are we going to see one when is it, when is one going to march in and say hey guys we're real and then how do you prove it well here comes the point that i made with stephen bassett the u.s has ah. had a secret uh covenant with the aliens since 1947 and formally since 1954 And I told Stephen, the reason there's no progress or little progress in Washington is because the secret government is more afraid of the aliens than they are of the American people. And this deals with some of the clauses. And the main clause was neither the U.S. government 
nor the aliens will reveal themselves to the world public. And for the U.S. government now to admit that they've been lying to people for 80 years and that aliens have been interacting with the U.S. government, trading human resources for technology, would be the end of the world for politics as we know it. But it would break the contract that the, the deep state wrote with the aliens. Breach of contract. And they are more afraid of the aliens' reactions than the people of America or the American uh, citizens' reactions to... They think they can control the American citizens uh, the same way they've controlled them since JFK was killed, through mind control and uh, delusions and uh, altering the evidence. You know, we don't have to go too deeply into so, that. So, Robert, you're basically saying we're all wasting our time and we should go and sell storm windows. No, I'm saying you're wasting your time yeah. thinking that artifacts are going to change the opinion of the Congress. They're, they're hot on the track of a very nefarious group of people embedded within the U.S. government. And I believe that many of them are in with the New World Order. And this whole process, everything we've been seeing, the depopulation program, the chemtrails, all of it is to call down the herd so that eventually when there are fewer human beings around to oppose it, the aliens can come forward and... Again, that's a nice speculation. You have no data. It's a theory. We have data. We've got artifacts. You can... There's one sitting in the president's office tonight. Right on that bookcase. It's a moon rock. No, it's not. It's an artifact that was labeled as a moon rock. Well, Richard, be fair. It's a moon. It is a moon rock by the what they catalog them as. And as soon as the press see it, and independent analysis is allowed to analyze it, it will be it will be proven to be an artifact. You know how they'll prove it's a moon rock? They will test from the inside stuff that uh, encapsulated bits of water and gases that have been there since you guys are such debbie downers why are we doing this i'm going to just kill the show what's the point i go ahead i could go and have i could go and have a lot more lucrative career doing something else than what i've been doing for almost half a century but Mm -hmm. i know we're going to win it's inevitable we just have to keep the pressure on because the opposition is crumbling Artifact, well, why did you no pressure on the Congress? You Artifact don't know that. Ah, uh, yeah. I do know that. No, you it, don't. Have you yes, ever? Have I, you ever? Have you talked yeah. to a congressman about the artifacts? I've sent. I've sent artifacts to Congress. They don't. It's ho hum. They don't want to deal with it. Just like any scientist in NASA, Mark Carlotto, he, he's brave enough to talk about the face on Mars, but I'd say ninety percent of of the NASA scientists. Wouldn't touch it with a ten-foot pole because they know. Hey, Robert, who opens your mail? Who opens your mail at home? I mean, I'm not talking about spooks. Me. Hmm? Me. Okay. Who opens the senator's mail? His staff. Exactly. Right. Whether it's email or in an envelope, doesn't matter. They don't get to see the stuff that you sent them. So if you sent them your artifacts, the same staff member is going to open them up and he's going to put it in the circular bin. Because yeah, he'll be afraid to show it to the Congress. Well, actually, I think we'll be a little more sophisticated. How did we get our briefing video to the President of the United States? Remember, President Trump. two hour yeah. two hour video on artifacts 
on the moon yeah. and Mars? How did we get it to the president so he actually saw it? You had a personal contact. Exactly. Well, don't you think we can get personal contacts to congressmen and senators to bypass the filters and let them see it? I briefed the chairman of the House committee, Robert Livingston, decades ago, and he was so startled by what he saw. I had a group in Washington in his office invited in. He was stunned. And as soon as he started to do something, they got rid of him and he turned into a drunk who was brought up on charges of hit and run because he ran into somebody and killed a woman and her daughter one night on the roads in Virginia. He thought he was invincible. He turned out the deep state was bigger than he was. But that was then. And this is now. And that was done without the pressure of a lot of people wondering what's going on. Now everybody, and Stephen has documented the rise of serious mainstream news coverage, everybody is focused on this problem, and it has two components. It's got real live ETs and spaceships, and it's got extraordinary archives all over the solar system, including libraries, which will tell us how we got here. That once people realize that it's credible, it will be unstoppable. So our job is to make it credible, and we have lots of things moving in the dark to do just that tonight. Well, good luck okay. with that. Thank you. Livingston lost his life as a result of uh, his No, 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 no. He lost his position. He, became, okay, he, his position. he literally drank himself into a stupor and wound up killing a, a woman and her, okay. her, her daughter one night on a New Jersey road because he was absolutely shocked that he could fall from his chairmanship by opening this Pandora's box. But that was too soon. Yeah, but now that will not happen to Congress people because everybody is looking. They can't get well, away with I, that ploy. I think what's really going to open up uh, the whole thing is where's the money? What did you do with it? What did you produce from it? And I think that artifacts are very low on the, on the total. Well, I'm so glad to finally, after all these years, Robert, know how you feel about my work. Very nice. I'm talking about your work in regard to UFOs, okay? I don't so do UFOs. Don't, don't start portraying yourself as a victim. I know? do you. I supported your show, contributed to your show, hundreds of items. 30 seconds out. Okay, yes, so, it's per yes, it's a personal attack on you, Robert. Yeah, it's not. It's not. Okay, well then stop sounding like it is. Okay, guys, we, we all are, we, we all are, suffer. We are at the top of the hour. My guest this morning, kind of contentious guests, is Robert Morningstar, our resident civilian intelligence space analyst of UFOs, ETs, and other anomalous phenomenon, and Ron Gerbron, our resident generalist. And we're having a, a really lively and important discussion. And I would willing to bet dollars to Navy beans that in this discussion, artifacts will lead the way. I don't know exactly how tonight, but with your support, we will keep at it. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return.
TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone, on this uh, Sunday night, the 21st of January, 2024. i got to keep thinking 2024, 2024. Uh, We're having a very interesting discussion about UFOs and artifacts in the absence of my planned guest for tonight, Steve Bassett. Uh, We can't seem to find out where Steve is, whether he is online or not online, whether his Internet problems have gotten more severe. You know, as... As regular listeners to this show know, we have had absolutely extraordinary and excruciating technical issues. And I have come to the conclusion that maybe someone has hacked programs in these computers and they basically can switch us on and switch us off whenever they want. Well, as this heats up, as the focus of general political attention in Washington is focused on the bigger question of extraterrestrial intelligence and manifestations thereof, both in the past and right now. As more and more people take this seriously, I believe the opposition is going to give way because they already have. If these folks were all powerful, if they were backed by some extraordinary extraterrestrial mind control technology, then none of this would be happening. We would not be having this conversation. We'd be talking about how to raise dairy cows or something as opposed to extraterrestrial non-human intelligence. And we certainly wouldn't have gotten all the stunning thousands, as Ron said, thousands and thousands of images with artifacts all over the place. We're going to talk about one that NASA just gave us a few days ago, next Saturday. It is an extraordinary artifact. It can be nothing else but an artifact, and it's sitting on Mars. It was photographed just a few feet away by the Perseverance rover, and when you look at the fruits of our analysis, it could be a game changer, and we'll save the details for next Saturday. 
So let me go back to Robert. Robert, you were the last guy to talk to Stephen this afternoon yeah. for two hours. What did he say? What does he project is going to happen politically on this subject next? Well, he says it's really basically a very, very high-level chess game that's being played legislatively, and that uh, what he's hoping for is action by the Senate. The, uh, the Congress, the Congressional Oversight Committee, is, is doing the groundwork um, to keep the information in the public eye, but he said that really nothing can happen until the Senate acts on it. And so that's what he's hoping for, that he said that he hopes that this Senate hearing will be this January, you know, which leaves, what, eight days or nine days, depending on which side of the midnight you are on. <laughs> so, yeah, because <laughs> it's already mine. I'm already in twenty in uh, 22nd of January and the other half of the country is still in the 21st. So that's the, the caveat there. But um, we had a long discussion about all of these issues and about uh, David Grush and how there is uh, there's a smear campaign being con uh, conducted against Grush. Although, oh, he had marital problems. Oh, he had to see a psychiatrist. I said, Stephen, who doesn't have marital problems, and how many marriages? Well, let go me let me let me let me give some background to that because sure. the American people, certainly for the last five years since President Trump was elected, and even longer, you know, going back a couple of more administrations, they know the Washington spin game. They're used to people lying to them. They, it, that's one of the reasons why real interest in politics has become so low because it's like both sides are on the same take and they're both telling us the same lies so why should we give a damn why should we vote why should we participate if nothing ever changes so the, all the spin all the horror stories about grush they're basically falling on deaf ears because people want to know more in terms of the, what he's saying than whether he's right or wrong in terms of his credibility his marriage whether he drinks he's on drugs or whatever and the fact that this congressional committee came out of their briefing and said they only had deeper appreciation for Grush's testimony, that's a huge step forward, regardless of the fact that we don't know the details. Yes. Another thing Stephen said was that uh, questions were asked of Grush that were not answered in the public hearing, but that in the, this uh Skiff hearing, he did answer them and much people surprised. One of the questions he was asked was, if we have recovered craft and we have alien bodies, do you know where they are? And this time, in secret, Rush said, yes, I do, but I can't tell you where they are. Well, was, wait, 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 wait. In a skiff, in a classified briefing for the Congress, he said he couldn't tell them? Yeah, he said, I can't. I know where they are, but I can't tell you where they are. Did he say why he couldn't tell them? Well, he's still under secrecy, a uh, certain amount of secrecy. There's so much that you can... There reveal. have been all kinds of laws passed in the last year. Mm -hmm. uh, I keep calling it the whistleblower law, and Stephen gets very upset when I say that. But it literally was mandated by the Congress under law, signed by the president, that if Grush wants to reveal whatever he knows, 
They mm-hmm. can't touch him unless, True. unless, of course, they kill him. That's the ultimate sanction. Well, maybe he's concerned with that. Well, he went through it through proper channels. That's why he's there. He went through proper channels. He made a complaint to the inspector general. And this uh, briefing was uh, the inspector general of the intelligence community, uh, Thomas Mannheim is his name. Are you you guys hearing that high-pitched whine? I'm hearing a weird whining like a fan or something or a motor. I heard it briefly. Yeah. Well, I don't have a fan in my computer. Oh, there it goes again. That's coming from Robert. Oh. Oh, isn't that a shame? I'm, I'm sorry to bother you. I'm going to uh, relieve you of the wine, okay? Okay. Bye. Okay, so we lost Robert. Oh, he thought it was an emotional comment, Keith. He no, didn't know it was no. technical. Yeah. See, this is what I'm trying to point out. That everyone Andrew, such... I know you're listening and talking to Robert. Tell him it was not a personal comment toward him at all. I heard it too. It's just well, I would like I would like Andrew to join us if he would. Uh, obviously, we're kind of winging it because the program I planned with Stephen Bassett. I have a feeling it's not going to take place. Well, let's make him jealous. We can give away all his secrets if we know any of them. Well, the last, <laughs> the last person to talk to him this afternoon to get the report that I wanted was Robert, and Robert left in a huff, which, is, which is not very professional. Yeah. You know, that's really no. kind of like, you know, remember... Please, somebody tell Robert we all concur. This was not at all meant as an emotional comment for Richard. It had nothing to do with it. There was a noise in the background. And Keith said that he, from a technical standpoint, it sounded like it was coming from it, Robert's look, phone. It, I don't know anything it, else. It's obvious that Robert is talking on the computer mic as opposed to a headset. Computers mm-hmm. have fans. Fans have motors. Motors have lubrication problems. It sounded like a motor changing speed to keep the computer cool as the ambient temperature changes, which it does depending upon the the you know rate at which you're using the the software the disk so anyway the point is that all we said was it's coming from you robert and he said well i can cut it off and he did so andrew are you with us andrew here's that hear that beep everybody no i didn't Uh, that's the noise no i hear the noise every time you close your mic oh that's that's me me. okay it's coming from keith yeah keith has a separate problem technically that's why he keeps his mouth mic closed most of the time who brought up the whiny noise i did I, it wasn't bothering me oh it's your fault well I, it, it was very loud me. remember i'm wearing headphones and what i hear is going out on the air and don't if people move, love to talk about housekeeping andrew are you with us <laughs> well it says andrew has been added to the conversation but well, i don't see trying. him yet so okay it's just you and me Oh, okay. Roll up your sleeves. Well, obviously, no, the, uh, you would not be participating in the Enterprise Mission Artifacts investigation if you, like yes. Robert, thought it was pointless and stupid and no one would ever pay attention. Hmm. Yeah, and certainly not if I thought nobody was listening to me because that happens all the time. Uh, <laughs> not here. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, 
Well, we could say, let me say a little thing about the mysterious subject of next week's thing, which by next week is not going to be a mysterious topic anymore. Uh, the uh, the rainbow, the Martian rainbow issue. Uh, you the, mean uh, this very mysterious object? I, I prefer actually not to give the game away until next Saturday, frankly. Well, it's already out there on another website. So it doesn't matter. They don't have the data so, we do. So. No, well, all right. Let me see if I can do it without saying what it is. This mysterious what it is uh, is uh, on Mars Guys website, which is one of the hottest things on YouTube, by the way. Okay. He's totally ma- he's totally mainstream. He's obviously got some really good connections with uh, JPL and NASA. He's a uh, I forget his actual name, but I've seen it. He's a professor at a college in uh, or university in Arizona, and he keeps up on it. When something unusual comes along, he uh, covers it with one of those panel things. Oops, somebody's there. Robert is back. Yeah. We don't need well, your Rob, video. The line is about. We I don't. We don't need her. your video. Say oh. bandwidth. Okay. We know what you look like. <laughs> we know what you look like. You don't know what I look like. Okay, so mm-hmm. if, if I can pick up the conversation of what Bassett told you this afternoon. Well, he, I was you before you started hearing whines. So if you hear no, it, it's fine. No, it's fine. Okay. No, so, I still hear it, but it's okay. it's, it's lower. Robert or Richard, don't worry about it. It's not bothersome to me, and I'm wearing earbuds. So about Grush, uh, he went through it through proper channels. He was there with the Inspector General, you know, as his, I suppose I would call him his mentor, who's trying to get him through it. But um, you know what I do have? I have the comments. I have the comments of uh, the Congress people who came out of the SCIF. And I can play them for you. It's very interesting to hear all of them. Oh, absolutely. That's what I was hoping that Steve would have was, is more than the articles that are very cursory and, you know, they're, they're like, uh, well, it was classified, so they can't tell us anything, so we don't care. Okay, well, uh, let's see if it goes. I, I have um, the report from Chris Lido. Chris Lido is very big in the disclosure. He's a former uh, pilot. And he's been uh, working with uh, Russ Colbert. And uh, so I happen to have the, the Twitter comments. This is the Here's first them. real briefing that we've had that we've now made, I would say, progress on some of the claims Mr. Grush has made in his complaint. So this meeting, unlike the one we had previously when we did this briefing, this one actually moved the needle. This is a Democratic congressman speaking. Yeah, can you, uh, you can hear the sound, right? Yeah, crystal clear. This is, next is Representative Ana Paulina Luna. Who I believe is a Republican from Florida. Yes, and the prettiest lady in the Congress. (laughs) (laughs) Pulchitude counts with me. What I will say is that it has become apparent that there is a movement, whether it's within the intelligence, intelligence community or not, to prevent us from finding out more information on this. Uh, we got some pretty different. Okay, this is the chairman of the committee, uh, Tim Burchette from Tennessee, Republican. What? 
I'm sure you all get somewhere else about what was discussed. I'm more concerned than I was going into the skiff, and I think that they have a lot of questions they, that remain unanswered. And, you know, Mr. Grush uh, has made allegations that we're still trying to figure out um, the veracity of, and we haven't gotten the answers. I just think uh, that was uh, Mr. Krishnamurti. Who is a congressman, I believe, from California, Democrat. He, uh, I thought he was from the Midwest, but that doesn't matter. What matters is, I said to Steve, if you've ever seen anybody with that look that they call deer in the headlights. Yes, this is yes. Moore. He really looks scared. He looks like a guy who was a total skeptic and walked in and a reality check was dropped on him. Next is Representative Andy Ogles. What uh, the, most of the American people uh, fear is true is that the government is a concerted effort to conceal as much information as possible, uh, both from Congress and to the general public. Chris Plato, welcome to Plato Files. Okay, I think we can jump out of that. Yeah. Hello, uh, Chris Leto on. Um, L-E-H-T-O, he's really on top of it, and he's a former jet pilot, and he's very highly motivated to uh, bring the truth out. While we're here, I'd like to mention, I discovered something earlier this week that is rather important. Um, In Davos, they were having the meeting of the World Economic Forum, and Rebel News from Canada uh, found the current CEO of the Gates Foundation walking down the street heading for the meeting and I followed it and I noticed that as the cameraman was uh, walking backwards he kept moving the camera from the faces and occasionally he had to take a back step and he caught the sky and I saw something in the sky for a minute during this staying in the sky and ordinarily you just look at it and we say oh that looks like an airliner but you know I have uh, UFO eyes, so <laughs> you know. I so wait, wait, wait. The backup. What was this meeting? Why were these two guys being photographed on or video? In Davos, in Davos. Oh, this is the Davos meeting. Okay. World Economic Forum. Right. So I'm watching. Which this for video. those folks that have been hiding under a bed for the last 20 years are the movers and shakers, the billionaires that are running planet Earth. Yep. So this is an eight-minute-long video. And I noticed that ordinarily I'd look at it and say, oh, that was an airliner leaving a contrail. But a couple of uh, minutes later, it happened again. This thing was still in the sky. So I'm showing you the frame that I grabbed with a screenshot. And this is uh, Ezra Levant of Rebel News and the CEO of the Bill Gates Foundation being asked some very uncomfortable questions. And he just stayed mum. He wouldn't answer anything like, what was Bill Gates doing on Epstein Island? Why was he riding on the plane with Epstein? Why did his wife divorce him, etc.? And he never said a word. But I saw this thing staying in the sky, so I frame grabbed it, screenshot, and this was in the oh sky. Oh my God! Yes. Can we put that, that up on 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 Robert's section, Keith? I'll send it. Those are not those are not aircraft. Those are not those are UFOs. Absolutely. Now, now, now it's one, and then up in the upper right, you've done an enhancement. Yeah, I did an enlargement. Okay. Uh, I did another one. This one is a larger one. This is a structured vehicle with proper shadowing, which appears to have an antenna, like a little stub antenna on the bottom. 
Uh, when you well, look I, at the, I'll tell you what. I saw this before. This craft flew over Ukraine in 2014, low and slow. I wonder why. Oh. And here's the, here's the interesting thing. This thing is camouflaged. As I said, if you look at it, it looks like it's a contrail on the right side. But on the left side, it looks like it's affecting the air in front of it. And I've seen this phenomenon before, specifically in a photograph taken in 1938 in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, on a very, very uh, rainy night where the atmosphere was very thick. And the photograph was over the then new Vancouver City Hall. But what I noticed about the photograph was not the trail behind, but but what it was doing to the air in front. And I think that propulsion is the wrong word for what UFOs do. I think they open space-time or open a vacuum in front of them, and the craft is sucked into the vacuum. And that would explain why there's no air resistance, no sonic boom. But I'm very proud of this. I'm happy to share. Well, this. I would say I don't. You don't have to go that far. If you have some kind of field technology yes. that can manipulate the atmosphere, it not only eliminates problems with friction and you know burning your spacecraft up when you accelerate to ten thousand miles an hour in the lower atmosphere, it would reduce or eliminate totally sonic booms, etc. Oh, look at that! That's a stunningly crafted object. By the way, you know NASA just revealed. Its latest spacecraft, uh, not spacecraft, but aircraft called the X-59, which is supposed to be a prototype for an ultimate commercial supersonic airliner that can cross the United States without creating a sonic boom. So if our technology can do this, don't you think folks that maybe have a better handle on physics could do it in an even more elegant way? See, what I am intrigued uh, with, I want to get back, uh, Ron, you want to say something and then I have a, a comment. Yeah, it's very brief, yes. I just, uh, I don't want to get in it, get in the way of the role of things here, but since I'm not under any NDAs or anything, I guess, that's, <laughs> I know what that is. I know what that thing is. It's, uh, unfortunately, it's not uh, the result of extra dimensional or extra planetary stuff. They are monitoring, the, the, key, the key is the single, the stalk antenna on the bottom. Uh, it's monitoring all the cell phone traffic. Uh, to make sure that nobody's saying anything that violates their um, sacred oaths in front of the owls. So you think it's our stuff hovering on anti-gravity above Davos, eavesdropping to make sure that nobody breaks cover? It's not even uh, anti-gravity. There's a fan inside. It can't go 10,000 miles an hour. How do Uh, we know that? This is an opinion. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. But it's uh, no, that, that well, sounds way too. To it comes well, Robert. Robert, I'm just trying to be keep the levity up. It's yeah, uh, <laughs> that's better than anti gravity. It's uh, but uh, it's so it's a drone. You're saying that it's, I've seen. It's you're saying it's, a dr- it's just a drone. It's a drone. The the uh, the technology would be surprising to people, but wouldn't shock them or upset any laws of physics. Uh, the, uh, they well, more important than the technology is that somebody is interested enough in Davos to hover yeah. uh, with with with, a, with an antenna. I could see the antenna from here. And uh, yeah, it's security. Antenna. They're not trying to see it. They're not trying to. Uh, they're not trying to hide anything. They're protecting their secrets by making sure that no one walking down the street is talking about them. The cool thing about it 
is the camouflage. Because, you know, the first mm-hmm. time I saw it, you know, in the first frame, I thought, well, there's an airliner passing by. And then it went mm-hmm. on another minute, and then, oh, hey, it's still there. So the camouflage is what intrigues me, because anyone who would look at, glance at the sky and look at that thing and say, airliner, and just keep walking. But fortunately, they captured it on video, and I was able to do those enhancements. Well, it doesn't but, look like an airliner at all. No, I know, I know. But, but it, from a distance, look at how small it looks in the original screenshot. You know how but many I, people have cameras that can photograph things in the sky now, and they're doing it because yeah. officially UFOs are in. They're the hottest topic on the planet. But I want to talk about the Fourth Reich in Switzerland. You know, not all the paperclip Nazis came to the United States. A lot went to Argentina. A lot went to Arab countries. But a lot went to Russia. Soviet Union. A lot went to Switzerland, my friend. The Swiss, you know, are Germanic. And uh, a lot of the, the Swiss, so they were neutral. Uh, they had open uh, open borders for... Uh, Germans, and so I believe, and with the money that Switzerland, I was going to say it's the money. Follow the, the money. money. Yeah, <laughs> they followed <Well>, the money. <laughs> my my Air Force friends told me that in Switzerland, they have underground bases that open on the side of a canyon. I flew through Switzerland through the valleys to fly the Matterhorn, and I flew I flew through this valley called Thun T H U N E. And for for you new born, to the show, Robert is a very accomplished private pilot. Thank you. But and I and I started flying specifically because I wanted to find UFOs. And I said, Where are you gonna find them? You're gonna find them if you're in the air. And I had my close encounters several times with UFOs. But the point is I was flying through this uh, military operations area and the chart said be be aware of artillery being uh, tested or practiced over here in the Valley of Thun. And there are these sheer cliffs. And my Air Force friend said, you know, in Switzerland, they have these bases where the cliff will open up and the fighters will fly right out of the mountain. They they have those in Sweden, too. Yes. They're very smart people, those people. And the Swedes... Well, the Swedes are my ancestors, well, they're not far behind, you know. <laughs> they may not have the money, but they have the, the know-how. And also, there was a UFO crash and a retrieval in Norway in 1946. Wasn't Spitsbergen? Wasn't that the name of the... Yeah, it was near Spitsbergen. But I got to see one single photograph of it. And this thing was, it was bullet-shaped. But it was gigantic, and it was on its side, it was silvery, and there was uh, a person on the ground so I could get a sense of, of the size of it, and this thing dwarfed Apollo. And this is, a, this is the conversation that Dorothy Kilgallen had with Marilyn Monroe talking about uh, flying saucers, uh, their terminology back in uh, 1962. And they both wound up dead. Marilyn committed suicide, supposedly, and Dorothy Kilgallen made a mistake of taking some medication with alcohol, and she wound up dead. Yeah, but she didn't make a mistake. It was just, she had three types of barbiturates. Well, that's the, that was the public story. I'm, you know, I'm, no, no, no. This is the this is the. Autopsy. Oh no, they were both killed. Obviously, they were both killed. Yes, but the point is that Kilgallen was talking to her about having been briefed 
in Britain in 1954 by the uh, Minister of Defense. This was Kilgallen? Kilgallen. Oh, she was... Oh, she was a very powerful columnist. She was perhaps, you know, she was like Luella Parsons, except in a very serious political real-world vein. Yeah, I like to tell the story about how she caught me playing hooky in 1959. (laughs) I really... I was. Go ahead. I cut cut school. Actually, you may have to wait till after the bottom of the hour. We're at about... Okay. Okay. So let's... Now, what I'm doing tonight is I'm trying to mix and match our music to what we're talking about. This is from um, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. Ironically, it's called Us and them you're on the other side of midnight my name is Richard C. Hoagland the topic is UFOs and we are making progress did you hear those congress people who were totally oblivious to whether they were republicans or democrats they're united on the search on the hunt and they will not let go because they have a lot of people who elected them 720,000 per congressman who are telling them keep going you're on the other side of midnight my name is Richard C. Hoagland we shall return side of midnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com.
And welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night, on the other side of midnight, the 21st of January, of a year that will live in history. Because I frankly think that all of the mainstream pundits who are trying to get their minds around what's going to happen between Biden and Trump and trials and coverage and polls and, you know, conventions and all the paraphernalia of mainstream political races for president, they are all going to change when a new factor is introduced into the conversation. Did you listen? Of course, you couldn't see them because, uh, you know, we didn't have the video on, on the screen. But did, did you hear the voices of those members of Congress duly elected from the left and the right side of the aisles no party politics. They are focused as a team on getting to the truth and finding out what's been going on, as one or two of them said, that's been suppressed from public knowledge and consciousness for over two or three generations. They have the wind at their back. And we will see what happens. You're on the other side of midnight. My guest, let me bring my guest back in here. So who wants to pick up on this thread? Well, I was going to tell the story about Dorothy Kilgallen. And um, this is important because uh, I had a friend named Dennis Healy. And he and I were buddies in third, fourth, and fifth grade at St. Paul, the Apostle School here in New York City. And uh, Dennis Healy taught me how to play hooky. And I said, what's hooky? He said, well, that's when you cut school. He said, when we get in trouble? He said, no. At lunchtime, when we go to recess, we hide and then run into Central Park. So we got used to that. And we just run one block into Central Park. And sometimes we'd go up to the Museum of Natural History and spend an afternoon, the last three hours, in the Museum of Natural History. I went back to class a lot smarter than if we'd been in class. But this particular day... We went to uh, we went to the south part of Central Park at 59th and 7th, and uh, my friend Dennis had to relieve himself, so he went in the bushes, and I was standing on 59th and 7th Avenue near the Essex House, and all of a sudden I see this lady staring at me with the deepest blue eyes, and I could read her mind. She's saying, "What's this little boy doing out in the middle of the street at one o'clock?" In the afternoon, he should be in school. And I looked at her and I realized, oh, damn, I'm caught. And she was obviously on her way to CBS Studios and she was trying to hail a cab. But she kept glaring. She wanted to walk across the street and say, hey, little boy, what are you doing here? So I put on my camouflage and I got a look on my face and I smiled at her. And I got this look. Oh, I'm just here waiting for my. Go ahead. I hear Robert, are you there? Robert, I can't hear you. It's the gremlins. Yeah, you're 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 back. Okay. Whatever you're doing, you're 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 Rich, can yes, you hear us? I can hear you. Stop whatever you're doing. 
You told me to switch it to post. I was just following your directions. Sorry, guys, we're doing uh, housekeeping on the air. I can't hear you either. I'm not touching anything. Now I can't hear anything. Do you want me to change something? Sorry, guys. Okay, that's good. I needed specific direction. Okay. You're blowing our ears out. Can you hear us? I can hear you now. That was more than a whine. And I haven't touched anything. (laughs) I'm telling you, someone's in control of this computer, not me. (laughs) Okay. It's not me. It's not not funny, Robert. Well, I think you have to take it in stride and, uh, you know, I laugh things like that off. I don't get bent out of shape. Uh, Has it been happening to you for five uh, years? with uh steven you know we were having trouble and i i was hand signaling and telling him to call me on the camera he wasn't looking i said the next thing i'm going to have to do is start uh with uh smoke signals but anyway let me finish with dorothy kilgallen i put on my face of uh innocent little boy waiting for my mom and my dad and then the cab came up and she had to take the cab and so she split but my friend dennis healy we were buddies, and he told me a very interesting story in 1959. He came to me at recess. He said, hey, did you hear about the flying saucers last night? I said, what? He said, yeah, my father and I were listening to ABC radio, and it said that there were, this astronomer in New Jersey was uh, looking at the moon, and he saw flying saucers coming off the moon. And I said, really? How many? He said, a lot. I said, really? And he said, yeah, and he took pictures of them. I said, Wow. Maybe we'll see them on the news tonight. So we were glued to the TV set for the next three days, but never a word about this. But 45 years later, going through the Blue Book files, I found the Jesse Wilson photograph. And the way I found it was that I saw this photograph that was really odd because the moon looked upside down. And with the moon looking upside down, it looks like it looked like some rocks were dropping off of it going downward. But the Mare Christium was in the wrong place. Right. So I wrote an article, what's wrong with this picture? I rectified the picture, put it right side up. And what it showed was 34 UFOs rising in a curve parade, passing past a mothership. And where were they rising from? They were rising from the area of the Taurus Litro Valley, which may be the reason <clears throat> that Apollo 17 went to the Taurus Litro Valley. And as we all know, they took pictures of pyramids in the Taurus Litro Valley. So, end of story. Next. Hmm. Well, what I want to know is what happens next. So continue with what Stephen is banking a lot on the idea that we're going to have a Senate hearing. Well, given all the other stuff and the fact that we've got another budget crunch coming up in March, and that has to be voted by House and Senate, and we've got, uh, uh, you know, political legal things happening in March, um, did he give you any 
any inside uh, uh, percentage as to whether this hearing, in his mind, crucial in the Senate Intelligence Committee, if and when it's going to come off. Well, he's ho- he said he was hoping it would still come off in January. But hope is not and, a plan. Well, I know. I can only tell you what he said to me. Okay. But he did say something that was very interesting. Um, he was extolling the uh, the skills of uh, Charles Schumer, my senator from New York, Charles Schumer, and the chess game that he's playing. But he said something that was remarkable. He said that Schumer has threatened the uh, military, industrial, aerospace contractors with passing a law for eminent domain, which meant that if he passed that law, the government would be able to seize their real estate, their assets, their hangars, and everything they've got. And apparently... And all the UFO technology. And the bodies. So (laughs) apparently they backed off uh, on that, and he kept that eminent domain clause out of the current bill. See, this uh, is why in our first hour we were very negative, or you were kind of negative, but we never make... It is unstoppable. It may take random walks in directions we don't understand yet or can't anticipate, but I saw on that video you played the the faces of those duly elected congressmen, Republicans and Democrats, men and women, and I heard their voices, and they are not going to give up. And if Schumer is behind them, who is the chairman of the Senate, you know, he's the leader, the Senate leader, you know, dominant party, determines all the uh, uh, committee chairmen. So he is running the Senate on behalf of Democrats. If he is as behind this as the swath of Republicans I'm seeing, this is ultimately unstoppable because they have the law on their side and it will triumph the deep state provided they simply pay attention. And to me, it looks like they're definitely now paying attention. And that's the way the the dark, side of this has been keeping it secret for so many decades if you tell everybody it's nonsense if it's a funny story at the end of the 11 o'clock news if columnists write you know tongue-in-cheek stories if there are bizarre you know um, uh, stories out there about aliens landing in ufos and giving a farmer a cookie in other words you make it the silly subject it's gone from being silly to being national security And that's why all we have to do is keep the pressure up. And it all, as my grandmother used to say, will unravel the sweater at some point. All of it. Well, by the way, I wasn't being negative about the initiative of uh, UFO disclosure. I was being negative about the importance of artifacts to this disclosure. And we are, we will, we will agree to disagree. Fine. History, history will prove, history will prove one of us right. So Ron, you have anything to add? Mr. Gerbron. Yes, unmuting helps. Yeah. <laughs> I was sorry. I'm. You're nibbling. Doing it. I'm. I'm sorry. I took the opportunity to eat it as a leftover <laughs> Christmas candy. Oh, that's um, nice. Are you passing, going to, Are you passing it around? Pass out to, uh, soon. <laughs> it's a peanut butter something or other. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, well, 
I think there is an angle that nobody ever seems to talk about, which is uh, if we're presuming, and everybody here seems to be sort of assuming, that uh, there are, uh, well, ET forces, let's just be as generic as possible. Uh, I side with those that think that there's a very strong dimensional component in this, uh, because that's the only way you could explain the uh, combination of time travel and um, people from elsewhere. In other words, they know what's going on, and they're just kind of keeping an eye on it because they have no When protocol. you say they, you mean the non-terrestrials? Yes, yes, the others. So who do you think so. is running the show? Because I, be, I move more from it's in our hands to it's upstairs, and it's on okay, a timetable. Yeah, well, it may be. But I think that timetable is speculative as well. They think that as long as they can keep things under control, or at least kind of uh, chivied in the right direction uh, for their purposes, that they can set the timetable is so important to them. It's not that there's a particular day at which the skies are going to open up. It's that they, okay, we can't push it any further than this. We're going to have to say something. So they're trying to figure out what to say. Uh, let me give it a little backstory, very uh, short one, uh, very simple bit of evidence from the ancient Egyptians, who it's important to note from a mythological standpoint, they were a unique culture in that they didn't like their gods. You know, they weren't still around when any, any of the stuff that we have uh, fairly solid rever references to uh, happened. But um, they knew what had been the case not that long before, in their view, when the gods, quote unquote, were in charge. Yeah, in, in the era when Horus ruled the earth as the first pharaoh, but he was not of earth. He was some, from somewhere else. What? Oh, no, he was the last pharaoh that was not of earth. That's the important thing. The first, uh, the pronunciations vary depending on how you spell it. But the first, uh, the first documented um, pharaoh of Egypt was Menes. Yeah, yeah. No, um, they, well, we were saying the same and, thing. Maybe and I. He, yeah, uh, and he was he the keys to the castle, as it were, of uh, Egypt at least were being handed over from the gods that had uh, watched everything grow and flower to humanity. So he was the first human right. pharaoh or king. But that was and, supposed uh, to be preceded by an era when the gods walked the earth ruled the earth, and Horus and Isis and Osiris were supposed to be them. And those are always mythological eras, even if they have clear uh, clear memories of exactly what was going on. And we don't know the well, time span. What do you mean by mythological? Involved. We think of them as myths. They thought of them as history. The ancient Egyptians looked at this transfer of power from the gods to humans as a transfer from heaven to earth and then there were demigods you know half yeah but why were they transferring ah. I mean, see, you're skipping over things why were they transferring things they were transferring things because they were done they were fed, they were fed up with these people the only reason they had been there was not because they had actually created it that's where the mythology comes in they take they just get bundled in okay this was where everything started well it didn't really start there it started with the fact from the Fortean uh, viewpoint that we are property. And so what the, uh, what the terrestrial rulers were, 
be they from elsewhere or here, uh, were the um, uh, the shepherds, the overlords, the tenant the landlords. That, yes, and they may or may not. This is why it gets complicated. They may or may not have been authorized, but they had been running that game for however long they did. Well, let's run this out to the present. If we look at this at a largest perspective, and this is a subject that Stephen doesn't seem to want to really get into, and it's not his purview. No. He's, he's mainstream political. My feeling, my model, based on the artifacts, convergent data, is that, yes, we are somehow property, and the current guys we see at Davos being manipulated by the invisible beings and forces from upstairs. And so this disclosure that's suddenly happening so rapidly is being authorized because something is changing or has changed, and the, the plan now is we're all supposed to know. The only question is when. Yeah, well, that, that decision does not come from on high. You do, do you know it comes that? from here. We have no idea whether any of these groups of uh, powerful beings that we, uh, that we obsess on at various levels and in various directions. Yeah, you know, we could call uh, them the Federation. <clears throat> well, you could, but that implies that there's that sort of organization out there. And can any I give you guys? I, uh, can I give you a? This, this is Keith Morgan, everybody. Yeah. In 1985, I told my colleagues at ABC that the Berlin Wall was coming down in 1989, and they vilified me and laughed. Said, "No, no, no, where communism moves in, it never moves out." I said, all right, we'll find out in 1989. And what took place? November 1989, Berlin Wall came down. In 1993, I told a group of people that the World Trade Centers were going to come crashing to the ground. I thought an earthquake was going to do it, but they set off a 2.7 when they crashed to the ground. And what happened? <laughs> the World Trade Centers came down. Now, in 1932, I mean in 2032, excuse me, in 2032, we're going to be fully aware and interactive with extraterrestrials. This is a given, okay, because I'm looking at stuff that most people ignore and because they're belief-oriented and they ignore the obvious that's sitting in front of them. Two, we're going to be fully aware and interactive with these guys. Why do you this think it's going to take start. that long? Because this is what we were told. What are your sources? Oh, Notre Dame. And then you can laugh at that, but everything he said, the, we were going to go to war with Mabus, that's a BAM spelled backwards. And I had every last one of these things because all the people interpreting the stuff were putting their little beliefs and disorienting what it was really telling us instead of taking it as he was telling us. And now he said 2032, that's when we become fully aware and interactive with extraterrestrials. Now, all the dates that I gave, he gave them in his little hidden way, but you do the math, it tells you when these things were going to take place. I got so many of them right that I didn't want to know what else was happening. Hmm. You got them right or, or uh, Nostradamus did? No, I got them right because all the people interpreting what he was saying were so off the chart, it didn't make any sense. He said that the, the bear and the eagle would become brothers. That's the U.S. and Russia. And what happened? They embraced democracy. I had that. 
all of these things took place, and I'm sitting here watching this stuff unfold, and I'm going, you know, and he said from the, you know, a country, a country to the north would attack a small spit of land between the ocean and sand, and then would come some such destruction of man and animal and fire from the center of the earth. And that was Saddam, because he said Mabus would soon die in a rout. That was all part of this quatrain. Mabus was Saddam. He set the oil wells on fire. They, the Rocky soldiers killed the animals in the zoo. It was all there, and I was calling it before it even happened. And I know it's it's after the fact now, but when I told people what was going on, they didn't accept it. So I'm I'm making a prediction right here, right now on your show <laughs> that 2032, we're going to be fully aware. And I think it's going to be much sooner. And, uh, and we will know. We will know. Because it's everybody a pen- knows. I hate well, to do this, but I agree sooner. with Robert on, or with Richard on this. It will be sooner. But when we get to 2032, it's all going to be water under the bridge because it's going to be completely well, known worldwide. Well, isn't this worldwide. a kind of a qualitative, you know, how much disclosure is full disclosure? Because you realize that even if the president were to make an announcement tomorrow, most people on Earth would not believe him or even hear him. Seven billion people. So maybe the 2032 date is the when general understanding of the global population in the meantime we're all in our stovepipes you know the folks that watch fox don't listen to msnbc and vice versa so as long as you stovepipe information keep it in separate silos you could have disclosure and the guys in kentucky in some you know village would never have heard of it or if they did if biden made the announcement god damn it it's biden we can't believe him um don't worry. Uh, All of it's coming together as it's supposed to. That's why I'm not even worried about whether we're going to go with UFOs or we're going to go with artifacts <laughs> because it's all They're all part, part of the, the same, same thing. Same, uh, you know, uh, as my grandmother said, sweater. You pull on one thread, it's all going to come out. Robert, you're being very quiet. Well, I was being very courteous to Ron and Keith. I wanted to hear what they said, but I would like to talk about a very, very important word a little later on, interdimensional. Yeah, really. I call it hyperdimensional. Well, you know, potato, potato. Yeah, passing between the membranes, you know, one dimension to another. But with regard to what Ron said, uh, the the end of the, the pharaohs, the pharaohs were... Osiris, then he was murdered by Seth, and uh, Seth and Typhon terrorized the earth until Horus grew to age. And I think that what brought the gods of Egypt down, they decided to leave, was a war between them. After the war with Horus, during which he lost his eye, and so we have the eye of Re uh, as the everlasting symbol of his sacrifice to save mankind. Because according to the Egyptian uh, histories that I've read, Seth and Typhon looked upon human beings as just animals and they were eating them. And so, and Typhon is shown as uh, an upright being with a, a crocodile's head. So that implies to me reptilian. And Jim Mars So said, you're taking this very literally as opposed to allegorically. Yes, because at the core of every myth is an essential truth, as Graham Hancock pointed out in Fingerprints of the Gods. And that's that's what I hold to 
uh, in this regard. So Jim Morris said that World War II was an uh, interplanetary war using human beings and nations as uh, the surrogates, like we were the chess pieces. And of course, the book of Revelation, which is taken intact, the war scroll in the Dead Sea Scroll tells exactly the same story about the war in heaven between Michael and his angels fighting against Satan and his angels and that Satan was thrown down into the earth and so the final battle is going to be a terrestrial battle because uh, this is where the evil ones have fallen and they've been, uh, they've been raping the planet and humankind for time immemorial. So I think we're coming to the end of that age and the fulfillment of those prophecies. I can hear Ron is something to say. We literally have two minutes. So, so why don't you do a tease and then we'll come back and give you a full platform on the other, other side. Okay, this feels like that old Saturday Night Live skit with um, uh, Dan Aykroyd and um, Jane Curtin. (laughs) Anyway, uh, no, I I have a problem with this typhus thing. Typhon, typhon. All right, typhus is a disease. No, yeah, you're right. Uh, That is not part of the uh, canon of the basic mythology of ancient Egypt. Uh, that's something else. And Seth. Okay, hang on. Hold Seth. it. Hold it there. We're at the bottom of the hour. No, we're at the top of the Seth hour. Gotta get my clock. Seth straight. Seth. So that was a perfect tease for this. You're on the other side of midnight. We'll pick up Ron's story, and then we'll talk about representatives of who's who's been monitoring and mingling in the affairs of Earth for a very long time. And then the question, are they still doing it? You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. other side of midnight.com talk radio with pictures on demand liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought join club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment to your endeavors. Eight cents an episode, two and a half cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com. 
And welcome back to the other side of midnight. My panel tonight consists of, uh, well, unfortunately, it's not Steve Bassett. It is um, Ron Gerbron and Robert Morningstar. And we're having a really interesting in-depth discussion about what, what, what's going to change. What is going to change if, in fact, uh, disclosure begins like this year, and isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? And I've changed nothing. Okay, guys, can uh, you can't hear me? Okay, so let us do this. There. Okay. Now, can you hear me? We hear you loud and clear. Excellent. Okay. See, oh yeah. See, Keith is telling me that he can't hear me. And well, I, we couldn't because the music was too loud and it kept playing too that's long. That's so bizarre because again, the aux I, is you, the aux is not following the pots when you turn it down on that channel. So you have something in post uh, prefade. No, 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 no. It should be no, in post no, fade. No, listen. no, no. Okay. Hey, can it, we go to Ron? I'm really intrigued. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, I, 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 I just I made one switch correction here. Let's see if that works. Ron, that go, ahead. go ahead, Ron. Uh, yes, that sounds. Oh, that sounds much better. All over. We all have brilliant British accents now. Uh, <laughs> yes. Now, Seth uh, or Set, either way, just like it's Ra or Ray. Uh, Robert has chosen to use the current favorite pronunciation for um, R A in English. Uh, most archaeologists still say Ra. Uh, Ron, I'd just like to qualify yeah. that. I, yeah. I said it because Zahi Hawass says it that way. And he's oh, I know. No, no, I prefer no. Rob. Not, prefer not Rob. casting any shade in your direction for that. I'm just telling Rob people the name. Robert. What's that? What's that? What? Not said, casting any shade from a sun god. Very good. Okay. Yeah. That's so, Ron, is. continue. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, the point is... Uh, Set was pissed off because he was supposed to be the hard ass of the pair, and he felt slighted because he didn't get handed the cushy part of Egypt, uh, which was the lower Egypt. Uh, yeah, he wanted to be the boss, boss, and um, the uh, so he was he was pissed at his brother, and so they got in a big fight. And that fight was immortalized uh, by the fact that according to the mythology, which that's the point I was trying to make, was a, it lasted for nine days. Now, was that nine biblical type days or was that just nine days? In any case, they were fighting, fighting, fighting. And um, 
the uh, there's some there's a council the Greeks call it an Aeneid of the uh, higher beings of that pantheon that uh, there are nine of them of course and uh, they voted to um, give things over to Horus uh, and so Seth went into a rage over that and none of that you know justifies any of that other stuff but the point is that when it was passed over to the humans they immediately started to elaborate upon it themselves and if you think that doesn't happen just imagine where you have someone like hercules uh designated a demigod because he was a powerful figure and every place that needed a hero would adopt him, and so his adventures got broader and broader. But the physical being was long gone, and so they they turned, he ended up being elevated to a demigod, and that was all fiction invented by the humans. See how that works? And so, in terms of ancient Egypt, we know there were at least nine scorpion kings that preceded any of the dynasties or anything like that. And so, we don't know how all this knits together. But officially, Menes was the first of the human kings. And it was a uh, handoff. And what they were doing was offering, and this may have just been the politicians of the day. They were telling the people, well, here's your new king, you know, lauded and gilded and crowned by the gods themselves, menace. Well, decades, so decades, thousands of years later, it was called the divine right of kings. The reason right of kings. that exactly. they had a right That's to where rule came is their power, their authority came from the deity from God, from heaven, who were long out of the picture. Yeah. Yeah. Who were long out of the picture, no matter how you look at it. So that stuff was all made up. uh, So in other words, to put it in modern terms relative to the UFO controversies and so forth, the, um, uh, the ruling class here, you know, gilded with the right to be the bosses were the official overlords, the, interfe- the intercessors between man and gods, but the gods were long gone, you know, quite apart from the question of where, were they gods, were they usurpers, were they pirates that came in and stole the booty? Who knows? <laughs> uh, the, uh, well, it could have been any of those. There's no evidence from any interactions that you can take with any credibility at all that their um, sensibilities are particularly different than ours, which – Well, you know, my model why, is they were simply family. That's all. Yeah, Playing, well, play, well, Stargate SG One. Come on. Yeah, exactly. And what were the uh, what were the Goa doing? They were representing something that they had nothing to do with. Yep. And in fact, they and they embroidered it and fluffed it up. Well, so they basically ran around the galaxy and technologies that the ancients had left them when the ancients just disappeared from everywhere and left this extraordinary network of you know transdimensional uh, beam uh, devices, the uh, so-called Stargate. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and all the the ships and everything. It was all hand-me-down technology from folks that did not know how to create it, but they knew how to push the buttons to make it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I think that's as close. I think that's as close an analogy to the real situation in the cosmos as we can well, come given to. So the Brookings, time... given the Brookings said mm-hmm. specifically, the American people and by metonymy the rest of the world should be carefully inculcated in all of this through fiction and TV and movies for at least a generation until the revelation that it's real was, was plausible. 
I think we've all been running on scripts and these these TV mm-hmm. shows and these films. They're part of Brookings' preparation for what is happening now. Richard, you just gave yourself a great quote. We've been running all these things on scripts. On scripts, yes. Yeah. I'm glad That's that, a wonderful quote. That's I'm wonderful glad Ron quote. brought up the subject of the war between uh, Seth and Osiris. Because I'm sure that uh, Keith Morgan would agree with me. This war between the brothers is an echo of the war between Enki and Enlil, told in the Anunnaki cosmology. And it also parallels the war between the Titans and the Olympians. So we have to uh, realize the Greeks took their mythology from the Egyptians. The Egyptians probably got it from the Anunnaki. So we have this common theme of a war between the gods from on high. And so, again, I think this dovetails with... Well, one of the analogies I've thought of is, you know, the Cold War between us and the Soviet Union. And then you have what are called vassal states who are involved in the war, probably have no idea what the war ever started over, what the objective is, what the big guys are doing, but they become entrained in it like Vietnam. You know, or yeah. like the current war between U.S. and Russia being fought out with proxies in Ukraine. It goes on and on and on. Are we, as a planet, part of a much larger galactic war that never stopped? It ebbs and flows, and now it's flowing, and we're going to be entrained in it somehow, which is why we have to be brought up the curve to realize first, oh, we're not alone, and second, the big guys have all the power, and we simply jump when they say jump, and we don't ask how high. Right. Well, and how do we know that – wait, one little thing. How, how, come, how do we know that the conflict between Enki and Enlil, et cetera, was the origin of it? Perhaps it's just another layer, yeah. another repetition of a situation, meaning that they were as fictional as any of the players – Exactly. Named, that was my basic contention against Sitchin from the get-go. He was writing as if this was the New York Times, and since I have been misquoted up and down in the New York Times, I know that you know even in a, in a year, things can go cattywampus. What about several thousand years of endless retelling around the campfire before you write it down, and then it's all skewed up and it's all it's all myth, and there are a few nuggets of real story to follow. But figuring out what's real and what's fake is, at this, at this distance, impossible. Therefore, the key, it's not trustworthy right. evidence. Exactly. The key is the writing. And the, I, to my knowledge, there's no earlier record than the uh, Anunnaki cosmology. And then when you compare the Anunnaki cosmology with the Bible, it seems obvious that the Hebrews, when they were in Sumer – absorbed it and then changed the name. For example, Which? Astrahasis is is Noah. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Yahweh and the Elohim. That also corresponds mm-hmm. to this battle between gods. So what and is now the, let's, let's what? turn our attention to the Middle East. What's going on in, in Israel and uh, Gaza? That that is a Oh that's an end times war. war. Absolute absolutely. end time. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I agree. Okay, let me raise another subject. Uh it's it's impossible if ETs land tomorrow on the White House lawn and say, well, this is what's going on, and this is our position, this is your position, this is your state, 
you know, we, et cetera, et cetera. We can't tell if they're lying through their teeth because of whatever agendas they have. But if we find the ancient libraries, like my friend Nova is putting on new spacecrafts to the moon and beyond, if we find the ancient libraries, their own records to themselves, we will be able to cross-check so much that is all mythology, and we may be able to follow a story, or we may not. We may find it's totally been made up by us because our owners did not ever want us to really get near the truth, let alone have accurate data to support the truth. I don't think they cared. So they didn't go to any effort to save it for us. That's uh, my perspective. I, don't, I, 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 I do not agree. There's too many things. Like, for instance, we, we had this discussion several weeks ago. How did NASA have a list of all the damn spacecraft to visit as apart from natural asteroids? Robert thinks it was somehow gained in the early years of the U.S. space program. And I think it was from tablets and ancient documents that are sacred, passed down and down and down. And it basically has a list. Go here, go there. You'll find this. You'll find that. And I bet the secret space program visited uh, Diamorphos and Didymos long before NASA chose to smash into it because they are two ships that contained records, real libraries. And if you have a secret program, which is not dependent on rockets, but actually has anti-gravity, which uh, my, my friend uh, uh, Paul uh, LaViolette documents brilliantly in his book, real documents, real Army and, and, and DOD memos and other documentation, then the inside crowd has had a heads up. And it's almost like going through a supermarket and having a shopping list. You go to aisle three, you go to aisle seven, you go to aisle four, and you know exactly what you're going to pick out because those who came before left it so the new rulers could pick up where the old ones left off. Why would somebody keep a list of all the ships that were broken down? Well, I, let me say I would agree with Richard, and it could be both. That, uh, it could be both, yes. It could definitely be both. And Atlas yeah. could have given them hints and pointers, and then they set the deep space network to look around where those pointers were going. I think, so I I think in the long sweep of the whole solar system, which is four and a half billion years old, remodeled about 600 million years ago, and then there's been innumerable civilizations rising and falling in the solar system human when the real ets who created the system redesigned it as the garden that it now not is left and after the war everything went to hell in the handbasket and so you have succeeding generations of humans trying to figure out their own history of their own ancestors with astonishing capabilities technology and interdimensional or hyper-dimensional knowledge and connections. Well, I want to say a good word about artifacts and the work that you've done and we've done exploring Mars and the moon. They are important. They show us intelligence and intelligent design in ancient times, but I think they're too far away. The Congress is interested in more mundane things, this immediate thing. And my, my take is, where is the money? We've given trillions of dollars to secret programs. Where is uh, the product? Well, I'll tell and you I, what. That's going to be yep. part of our discussion next Saturday night if you want to join us because I think we've got some answers finally. Yep. Well, the $400 anyway, toilet seats. 
<laughs> the art, yeah, right, and, and fifteen hundred dollar hammers, right. So all yeah, of that. Absolutely. Is, well, if is, you if you really skim cool. if you skim a percentage off every one of those transactions for the secret space program, you're in clover. Yeah. You can fund it off the books. Yeah. So so artifacts are very important as far as the history of the uh, solar system and how long life has been here. And do you know who is hot on the pursuit of artifacts? The Chinese. Oh, yes. No, you're laughing. We do not. No, I'm not laughing. We do not want them. We do not want them to corner the market because it's this is ironic. It's just ironic that Stephen Bassett said that if Biden doesn't uh, do disclosure, the next most likely person to do so would be Xi Jinping and the Chinese yes. uh, government. And I pointed out to him a story. You may know people have heard me tell this, that Tai Chi Chuan came from the moon. I discovered that in 1978 when I discovered a 1,200-year-old poem written in Chinese, and I recognized What happened? Oh, Robert, I'm so sorry. Did that hurt? No, the the, the potato chips were okay. The music wasn't (laughs) so good. But anyway, the, um, the point is I discovered this poem written in Chinese, and I recognized names in the poem that related to Tai Chi. And then I investigated the uh, this Tang Emperor, his name was Xuan Sung, which is a name that means mysterious ancestor. And he had changed his name from a previous Chinese name to mysterious ancestor after a trip to the moon. The Emperor Xuan Sung, the last emperor of the Tang Dynasty, claimed that the moon people had come down in a moon ship and landed on the castle in Xi'an and invited him to go to heaven. Peng Lai Shan Fairyland, which was on the moon. So he, the took moon. Their, right. he took their uh, their invitation and they swooped him up to the moon and entertained him with the beautiful fairies dancing in resplendent rainbow-colored garments and he heard this beautiful celestial music. The next morning they brought him back, or he thought it was the next morning, and when he alighted on the ramparts of the castle in Xi'an, which I visited in 1986, he said to his wife, darling, come here. The moon people have taught me this beautiful dance, and I want you to learn it before I, before I forget it, and I'm going to write down the, this celestial music that the moon people played for me. And it became a vogue and uh, actually a cult in the Tang Dynasty, but ultimately it led to a revolution which brought down the Tang Dynasty. And so Tai Chi Chuan was forbidden. Actually, it was called... Uh, Nishan Yuiwu, Dance of the Rainbow Coat and the Feathered Garments. And it had to go underground for 200 years, and it emerged during the Song Dynasty as what we now call Tai Chi Chuan. So there is this uh, extraterrestrial origin to it, extraterrestrial influence on the Chinese people. And then, of course, the Dead Sea Scrolls point explicitly to angels coming and going from Qumran to visit a tabernacle that was set up there for intercourse between the Essene women and these angels. And it explicitly says, and I'm quoting from the Dead Sea Scrolls, a woman should come into contact with angel seed on her arm or on her thighs. She must go through a 10-day purification ritual. And as I said, 
uh, to this rabbi that I had in my program last week. They call it purification ritual. I call it decontamination in modern <laughs> terms. So yeah. genetic engineering has been happening for a very long time. Oh, sure. That's it. You bring in a, yet another topic, but I was going to say I can't say anything about that stuff because of the way that the Chinese uh, envisioned things. Anything I said would sound pornographic and it would fit the tone of what they were saying. But you have your Chinese goddess, or the Chang, sort of the moon goddess, Chang, Chang, yeah. Chang, Chang, and her, and oh. her, and her little, and her, and her, her jade rabbit, her big rabbit. Biggest Harvey, yeah. six feet tall. Right. And, yeah, what, and, yeah. and, and, and what is the Jade Rabbit doing when Chang, the moon goddess, is stranded on the moon? Well, she's not stranded there, per se. She went to the moon uh, because she wanted to keep this elixir from a uh, the head honcho goddess, and I can't pronounce her name, uh, of the Chinese pantheon at that time was uh, the goddess of the sky or something uh, like that, close to that. Nuwa. You, oh, there you go. Nuwa. There, that's the goddess one. of the sky. Uh, she had, yeah, she was so happy with something Changi had done for her that she gave her this potion, which was a an immortality potion. And uh, what Changi was worried about was that her husband was, well, he was probably good, in the in his domestic duties, but uh, he was a kind of a maniac and a megalomaniac, and she knew that he was thinking he would exert uh, Papa's rights to take the immortality potion and thereby become immortal, and then he would be the ruler of all of China. And the reason why he was going to get to be ruler of China is very, very interesting. Wait one second. But she ran off to the moon where he apparently couldn't follow, which you could easily translate this into, okay, she – sounds so allegorical. Yes, of course. They always are. And so off she goes to the moon with her jade rabbit who is helping her make more of the magic potion. Uh, and meanwhile, her husband had gotten that uh, honor – offered to him of being the boss in charge of everything because he had averted a crisis which involved 13 and the number varies a little so check first before you tell me i'm wrong uh i don't know if i have the right number either uh 13 suns in other words the sun would not go away normally the sun would come up it would set and then there would be darkness well that was all gone all you had was another sun in rotation that would come up and so it was baking the earth. And so he was a famous archer. And so as a famous archer, he managed to shoot down 12 of the 13. Like I said, don't get hung up on the number. No, actually, uh, the, num the number was five, five sons. And they, that's the bottom line. That's the bottom end. Yes. Yeah. yes but it was like the, uh, the archer, you. He's one of the great cultures. You, here. that's it. And he left one there which put things back in normal as far as everybody's concerned, and therefore he had, he deserved great honor. Now, the question is, what the hell was all of this five to a dozen sons thing? Mm -hmm. And that's, But that's what fight was all about, and they just kind of skipped that part. And yet, Chang Yi's birthday is, I believe it's her birthday, so celebration anyway, is still celebrated in Japan, uh, or I mean in China, getting flustered here, Probably. and is actually represented 
there are representatives from the Chinese government that dutifully attend these ceremonies every year. And I think it's in the spring, is it not, Robert? Yes. Or is- if the Chinese, which they've been doing for decades now, have a concerted plan to go to the moon, find the libraries, retrieve hmm. key information, given that we're dealing in our model with family, humans, genetically totally compatible, if there are medical treatises and or drugs and or technologies, which literally with an injection can give humans on Earth today a lifespan of a thousand years or 10,000, because death is really only entropy catching up to you. Imagine what that would be worth on the open market on Earth today. How much would billionaires give freely? willingly to have access kind of breakthrough provided nobody else did. I'm glad you added that. I was going to say they wouldn't pay a nickel unless they got it exclusively. Well, but if they're running the show, of course they can get it exclusively. Who really ordered the destruction of Peregrine and why? That's an interesting question. Now, I want to say something about uh, Chang'o and uh, her trip to the moon. Uh, one of the Ron told one story. There's another variation that the goddess gave her two two doses of this potion of immortality, and uh, it was forbidden to be dabbling in that kind of alchemy. And when her husband was coming home, instead of splitting it and giving him one and her taking one, she took both of them. And when she took the two doses, she started to float up and she started to levitate and was oh. guided, guided to the moon by the, the it, they call it Jade Rabbit, but he wasn't made of jade. He was a tall, a Harvey, Harvey Rabbit. <laughs> that, like Richard said, you know, Harvey, uh, the invisible rabbit with uh, James Stewart. So that is, uh, that's one well, of the... Well, the idea that if you took more of this stuff than you're supposed to, you levitate. We have documented yeah. cases of saints in the Roman Catholic Church, who were witnessed by eyewitnesses peeking around the the door, seeing in intense meditation certain sisters and certain to be named saints literally levitating in prayer off the floor or off the pew. So it has to to do with frequency and modulation Mm -hmm. by consciousness of the physics, which, of course, is what mandates gravity. By the way, have you seen that rumor of a new paper by some physicist who is claiming that gravity is not conserved, that it's a hyper-dimensional force? They're getting close. Yeah. Well, the uh, patron saint of the U.S. Air Force is San Juan Capistrano, who was levitating at the altar, and they thought it was demonic possession, so the Inquisition came in and chained him down to the floor. And he still levitated, and uh, that's the story about why the swallows return to Capistrano on the same day every year. Because it's about control. And Padre Pio, Padre Pio, Padre Pio, the one that levitated in front of the Vatican windows. Yeah. Most recent, most recently, yes. Hey guys, we are at the bottom of the hour. My guests this morning: Robert Morningstar and Ron Gerbron. And it'd be really nice if Andrew were to kind of call in and give a preview of what we're going to talk about next Sunday. I'm sorry, Saturday, the 27th. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. 
other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back on this sunny night, now Monday morning here in the Land of Enchantment, where the first nuclear weapon was detonated just a few miles south of me, opening up an entire new era. Because as Joseph Farrell and I have documented, when you blow up a nuclear weapon, the yield seems to depend on when you blow it up, and even more interesting, where you blow it up. In other words, the yield is not just from fission or fusion in three dimensions, but the plasma creation and the forces involved literally open a gate between dimensions and energy flows through dependent on where and when the device is utilized. Back to my guest this morning. Question for Ron? you. Yeah, the uh, that uh, your uh, uh, abstraction from uh, you and Joseph Farrell. I've been curious. That does that apply just to hydrogen? Bombs? No, 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 no. Because it's that, fission and fusion. Fission and fusion. Yeah. Hmm. And he's so documented that, it. I borrowed his his uh, graphics for a show many, many uh, weeks ago, or maybe maybe years, you know, but uh, there really is a documented case because, for instance, one of them was supposed to be a low-yield test, and it was so powerful, it destroyed the instruments trying to record it, and it's been an embarrassment. It was the first, I think it was the first hydrogen bomb, and they calculated based on the amount of lithium and, you know, the other elements that were assembled, to, to be triggered by a by an atomic bomb, and it completely blew them away. And and to this day, there's no real rational explanation as to why the yield was so wildly out of proportion to their calculated predictions. And this other idea, which is they're merely gates between dimensions, and like every other dimensional gate that I've been measuring for decades now, it varies with time of day, with the position of the planets, 
with where the moon is and where you are on the rotating surface of the earth. Well, you know, uh, Barbara Honiger and I did, uh, we, we made a, a short film called Oppenheimer Atomic Gangster. And it has to do precisely with this opening of this portal. A lot of people uh, noticed that the increase in UFO activity was tremendous. Tremendous activity increased. And many people believe that those atom bombs, the test, the Trinity, and the two atom bombs, Nagasaki and Hiroshima, opened up portals that brought them through. So I'd like to tell you this uh, eyewitness report from my late friend, Mark McCandlish, who gave his life for this disclosure. He was, he was uh, contacting Congress because he wanted to testify in those first hearings back in 2021. And he died of a gunshot wound on April 13th, 2021. And he had just spoken to me the day before and to another friend in emails, but personally, he said that he wanted to testify, that he, ha- he wanted to testify before the Congress about what he knew about time travel technology. And that's the, inter- the interdimensional uh, aspect uh, of this uh, inquiry, because he said, Let me tell you what he saw. He was a tremendously talented aerospace uh, draftsman and uh, artist. He worked for Lockheed Corporation at the Palmdale facility. He, He was going home one evening in the parking lot and he looked up and he saw a UFO. And he told me this personally at the Secret Space Program Breakaway Civilization Conference. He said, I saw the UFO in the middle of the night. And then I saw it open a portal. When it opened a portal, it flew into the portal. But when he flew in, I could see the solar system and the planet to which he was, it was going. And then the portal closed behind it. That is a, a stunning a description from a man who had a wonderful eye and a wonderful capacity to illustrate aerospace uh, subjects. But and I've seen all the secret stuff because they had to show it to him oh, for him to do yeah, those marvelous right. dra- breakdown drawings that he did. That's right. He did something. He did draw the ARV, the alien uh, reproduction vehicle, meaning a human-made uh, version of a copy of uh, a ET spacecraft. Yeah, it looked uh, it looked like a bell, by the way, quite okay. a bit more than the Glocka did. But the other thing he told me was that the United States government had been developing uh, a technology. The first project was the Montauk Project, Project Looking Glass, and that they had looked into the future and that they saw that the Earth was destroyed in the future by a hostile alien race and we were defenseless. And that they then developed a time travel technology to either remote view or to travel to Mars in the ancient past where there had been this intergalactic or this interplanetary war to retrieve the weaponry that had that the Martians had developed to defend themselves and to bring that knowledge of that technology to the present time. So yeah, and how did it work out for the Martians? Well, the Martians lost uh, a lot. They, they, well, the Martians won the war because they blew up Marduk, right? If you can call that winning. And I was arguing with a yeah, friend. Yeah, you destroy you know, the village to save it. 
Yeah, well, that's why I was arguing with one of uh, my radical friends uh, about uh, the war in in uh, in Israel, and I said, what they're doing there is overkill. And he said, there is no overkill in war. Well, yes, there is overkill in war. When you go down, you know, with, with we the are enemy. Back, we're back to biblical. I mean, just read the Old Testament. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. So but, and you may be interested. Last week, I interviewed... Israelian rabbi whose name is uh, Rabbi Leon Ariel Mulel, and he's an adherent to the Raelian uh, belief system. For people that aren't familiar with this French uh, group, you might want to briefly talk about who the Raelians were or are. Okay, this fellow Rael, he took that name. His name was Claude Villeron. And then he changed his name to Rael after he was contacted by extraterrestrials who revealed themselves to him as the Elohim. This is now, the, the, back in the 1970s, I believe. Yes, in 1973, October. Listen to this. It was October 7th. Oh, my God. About synchronicity. Oh, that, well, that's not synchronicity. That's a plan. Uh, I know. So his, his uh, message is that the whole purpose of establishing the state of Israel was to establish the new temple, the third temple, as an embassy, as a residence for the Elohim who wished to return. And uh, a beachhead for the new invasion. Hmm. Well, this is a new, uh, an embassy. Well, the Raelians got involved in genetic uh, in cloning very early on. And in 2003, they announced that they had cloned a little girl and they named her Eve. But mm. the point is, I agree with, their, with the Raelian interpretation. I don't think that Rael is the Messiah, which he claims to be. And he put out a message of course. Uh, earlier this week. But I do believe that the interpretation that they have, that Aliens came to Earth and they fooled ancient man, including the Hebrews, into thinking they were gods. And these were the Elohim. Right out of SG-1. Yes, well, I think they all devolved. Brookings. Yeah, Brookings and these original stories. So the whole Elohim is plural. And there were at least uh, nine of them, again, like the Aeneid. And that... After the Elohim collectively let us be, let us create man in our own image, their their you know rivalry broke out. Well, there's the whole Sumerian Sitchin Lulu. We're basically slaves. A Lulu, yes. But the point is that a decision was made by this council of the Elohim to give Yahweh free reign and control over the Hebrews to become the god of the Hebrews. And I do believe that their, it's my interpretation, too, because I figured this out when I was 15 years old. When I read the Bible, the entire Bible, at the age of 15, when I came to Ezekiel and the whirlwind coming out of the north and landing in front of Ezekiel and the four creatures with uh, two wings and arms and the headdress that had the face of a man, the face of an eagle, and the face of an ox, and the face of a lion, that, that said to me, these guys are wearing space helmets with insignia and these guys came from outer space and they convinced uh, Ezekiel that they were gods. Now I said to Rael, Rael, you know, I'm going to read Ezekiel again because, you know, we have the, the writing. This is, this the, is this Raelian rabbi you were interviewing. Yes. 
Rabbi, Rabbi, I said, you know, Ryle, I haven't read it in a long time. I remember the, the spaceship landing, but I don't remember it taking off and going away. So when, when I read uh, Ezekiel again, it didn't go away. It started zipping <laughs> around. It started zipping around the Middle East, uh, and um, it was taking Ezekiel from here to there at very rapid speed, and he referred to it as I was taken up in the spirit and I was carried in the spirit to this place and that place. And I'm saying, oh, that's his word for a flying saucer. He was taken up in the spirit. So the, we, it's all coded. It's and we context. Have to, it's all about context. Right. And we have to exercise our thinking and our rational minds to be able to mm-hmm. decipher. Let me, let me ask a, a, a nitpicky question. Is this Raelian sect, are they Jewish? Because how can you have a Raelian ET rabbi? Yes, he is Jewish. And uh, he has a a very strong opinion about what's going on in Israel because Israel is being ruled by Zionists and they are non-religious, atheistic, materialistic, and ungodly. Well, they want to bring on the end times. It's obvious. One of, one of NetNews ministers literally said the other day, and I quoted it a couple, three weeks ago, he wanted yes. to use a nuke to make Gaza into a parking lot so they can That's have right. from the river to the sea. Yes, but there's a particular sect called the Kahanas. Remember uh, Mayor Kahana? Yeah, of course. He, they big were, big they rabble were rouser in New York. And terrorists. They were blowing oh, yeah, up things. Yeah. Blew themselves up. And their, their plot is to bring on Armageddon. Listen well, they're this. doing their damnedest. To, to force the hand of God to send back the Messiah. Mm-hmm. What arrogance. Who can force the hand of God? Well, but, but if you think for... Almost anybody that were, that belongs to a Baptist church <laughs> claims that or feels that they can bring on the... Uh, I mean, enough. They are not atheists. I've been there. Who's not atheist? I'm not, I'm not expressing great agreement wait, 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 wait. Who, who are not? Who are on. not atheists? The Israelis. This is ridiculous. No, I didn't say Israelis, Ron. Listen carefully. Zionists. 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 Yeah, well, you, are they not in that physical area yeah, bounded yeah, around not. what's called Israel? Yeah, but yeah. they're basically a political persuasion, an adamant an fundamentalist ideology, which is not exactly. part of mainstream exactly. Judaism. And they're holding the Jews in thrall through what we know thrall. as the Stockholm Syndrome. Thrall, T-H-R-A-L-L. Yeah, I know what it means, and I think most of the audience does. Uh, that doesn't, it just doesn't compute. With I'm you. sorry. With you. Yeah, with me. With me. Okay. Absolutely. Get a new computer. I've been there. I've sniffed around this myself. Well, when There's we found out the other day, and this, this, this conversation is wobbling away from UFOs and ETs, but I'll it's say one more to. thing. With the October 7th catastrophe for the Jews, you know, the worst since the Holocaust, it didn't, Mm -hmm. every Israeli depended, irrelevant to their political persuasion or their religious fervor, are behind Netanyahu to get rid of these bastards once and for all. And the Netanyahu government is using that as a lever to try to create an end time. I agree. He also okay. used this attack to save himself politically. Yes, absolutely. He, Man, he established himself as a dictator, and he was out to Well, he was trying to kill the Supreme Court and make himself Supreme dictator Court. for life. 
Exactly. And that's I don't want to upset anybody, but almost all countries that run very functionally have a dictator on top. It's very rare that, that except the exception. Israel has that. been a real democracy for ever since its beginning. Un- until this yes. time. Until this yep. this recent episode with Netanyahu. So well, all right. And yet and yet they're still going to I need I need to bring up I, I need yeah. to bring up something really important. Look what? at my last item on the other side of midnight in my item, number six. A couple weeks a couple it. weeks ago, the US Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, disappeared for days and ostensibly told no one, including the President of the United States, who is his constitutional commander-in-chief and who he has to keep in touch with 24-7 because he's in the chain of nuclear command. And the stories coming out that he had a, a, a voluntary surgery for prostate cancer and it all got bollocked up and he's a secretive guy, it all looks like the most bollocked up cover story you can imagine which the Washington press will nibble on and chew on and go in circles on because it has nothing to do with the truth. If in fact, if in fact we are on the threshold of actual contact between us on earth and them out there visibly light years before 2032 and the guy that you designate as president to be part of the meetings setting up the big reveal that you can't go to because you can't be missing for several days. And so you create with the White House this complicated, stupid cover story that conveniently falls apart, and it's mea culpa, mea culpa. And this guy, Austin, would never, ever have done what he's claiming to have done unless there's something so important and so secret involved in what's going on between Earth and heaven right now and biden is fully in on it and the way they decided to cover the whole thing up was because you can't cover up certain things but you can spread such disinformation that nobody sees the blurred line between just stupid human petrics and something really carefully calculated to misdirect attention i think richard exactly Go ahead. That part I agree with uh, exactly, but I read a briefing about this yesterday, and you know how I hate politics. Go ahead. All I'm saying is, given that Austin has been doing this, you know, yeoman service as diplomat between here in Ukraine, here in Gaza, here in Israel, it's not a stretch given that we humans think of our relationship between us and what's going on out there in a military vein first that the secretary of defense as the authorized representative trusted by the president and the establishment of this government 100 percent is the designated delegate and he couldn't do it over zoom and he couldn't do it over skype it had to be in the room or in the ship or somewhere and his, his disappearance had to be accounted for for several in fact he hasn't been seen for two weeks we have a wonderful story which is weird and bizarre and makes no sense and the part about it that makes zero sense is that any president who was cuckolded by his secretary of defense the way austin claims to have not told the president about his medical condition would be fired 
They're not irreplaceable. The fact exactly. that the fact that Biden is standing by him tells me that there's another story behind the scenes, and the only thing big enough to cover all the evidence we have, including what's going on over in Congress. Listen to those voices and look at those faces after that briefing. This is not going to end. It's going to begin, and it has to begin on our terms, on our side. And I think the entire Austin story is made up, and it's up and down the chain. There are key people involved in keeping the secret by spreading enough spaghetti on the wall that you'll never figure it out. Well, uh, some men do get prostate cancer. That's credible. Yeah. But what this reminds me of, Richard, is the disappearance of Eisenhower. Yes, exactly. I was hoping nobody would do that. This Except we're not in an era we're not in an era where Biden could disappear. Well anyway, Eisenhower He already has. He hasn't been in Washington in months. No, uh, he's out he's out on the, the he and Harris are doing a campaign thing tomorrow. Yes. And he, he doesn't look well. I I believe the Let's the not get into all the sidetracking. But I'm talking about Eisenhower and the parallel that Eisenhower disappeared. And in those days he could he could get away with it. I think it was a dentist. You know, it was another medical thing. Yeah, right. Thing. He was a dentist. The other part is that shortly thereafter this, these incidents, uh, he apparently had a mild heart attack. Yeah. And that, well, maybe that, that made, was the shock. Maybe, may, well, or he could not adjust to the field. Remember, their their environment hyperdimensionally is not ours. Right. That's true. The guy that crawled into the so-called sport model to look at it uh, had some heart problem shortly thereafter because it turned out he had been in there for much longer than he thought. Do you remember Whitley Strieber's novel called Majestic? Yes. yes. Which was a thinly disguised Romana clef about Roswell. And one of the mm-hmm. technicians in the novel goes into the ship and comes out and he thinks he's been in there 20 minutes. And it's two days. Mm -hmm. The time flow is dependent on the physics. The other thing is that their field, the alien's field, has a paralytic effect on human beings. And if you get too close to them, you just pass out. Well, depending on their frequency. Short circuits us. See, we're we're back to saints levitating. If you're of the right frequency, it doesn't. It's very selective as to who it attacks because it's all about consciousness. Who are we masquerading as people walking around on two legs here? And that gets us back to interdimensionality and hyperdimensionality and conversations I have been having for five years between dimensions. And the first representation of it to the public was in one of the last episodes of um, uh, Babylon 5. After they thought they had settled everything and they were they were having to hobnob and cross paths with a whole bunch of races they didn't know existed, including one that worked for the shadows that lived in a slightly different dimensional frame than everybody else, and they were kind of blurry to look at. And mm-hmm. every time people weren't walked they, past, weren't them, they the Vorlons? Wasn't that no? The Vorlons were the quote unquote with great quotes. Uh, Vorlons were good guys. They were the ones that were supposedly on the good side. Right. It wasn't really our side and their side. It was the good side and the bad side. Can't can't do a can't do a breakdown of a five year <laughs> saga. But they, at the very end, you got to see one of the one well, of the. Uh, the bottom line is, it's, it's all it's people. all Brookings preparation. Yeah, people had known this. We are that. as Nobody, a culture. Yeah. 
we are compare what we know now or what we suspect compared to our grandparents in the 50s we are light years ahead of them conceptually when this all takes place we're going to simply say oh that's star wars or that's star trek or that's you know marvel universe and we'll just go on because we have been prepared decades of incredible expensive preparation so when it finally happens it's like oh i wonder what kim kardashian is doing lately you know, I hate personal anecdotes, but this one, this is kind of relevant because you're talking about when people knew about this. Uh, well, which people? Growing up, uh, humans, or terrestrials, yeah. you know, uh, Tauri, depending on which uh, <laughs> vocabulary you want. I, I grew up on a farm in Pennsylvania. Uh, one of our neighboring farms was owned by a fellow who had actually worked on the Philadelphia Project. It wasn't called that yet. But what had happened was he ended up on the farm as a relatively young uh, scientist. He was a mathematician specifically. His name was Del Nogar, if anybody wants to look it up. I don't know his first name. He was my he was a, an occasion, a schoolmate's father. I didn't have to know his first name. Uh, but there was a fire at his farm one day. We saw the smoke going up. Everybody, everybody in the area saw the smoke, went over there to see if they could help. He had a fire going on in his uh, barn which was not a typical hay fire. It was a ball of electric flames in midair, just hanging there in midair. Now, anybody been near a farm knows about hay fires where the, the dust from the hay is so fine that it can, it can spontaneously ignite. This apparently wasn't one of those because it wasn't burning anything down. It was just hanging there in the air like a special effect. And my brother-in-law actually went in and got back the, dra- the tractor out. Uh, to get it out of the way. But his workshop, whatever it was, was in there. He had left the project at the Philadelphia Naval Yards that he was working on, his career thing, because he was under military contract. And when the when the project was closed down, finished, whatever, everyone was cashiered. They all had to leave, and they could not work in their specific field of expertise anymore which is very strange, but that was the agreement. So they gave him lots of pension, and off they went, and he had a farm. He had a daughter, beautiful girl, looked just like Cher. At the age of, if you can imagine Cher at the age of 17, mm. yes, I went out with her a couple times. <laughs> People. She was brilliant, and uh, very. that story doesn't matter. Uh, the uh, point is, there was that strange fire. Didn't even throw heat out. So he had been doing something he probably wasn't supposed to and had sort of reignited something, I guess. In like and a private lab? Yeah, just a, which was up in the upper. In the barn? Like a, yeah, in the barn. So he obviously didn't expect to create a huge fireball slash portal, whatever it was. But it, um, uh, you know, it eventually it eventually died down. The fire department got there and, you know, you don't hose something that looks like, like an electrical fire, even if it's hanging in midair. So I, that somehow they got it to go out, and that's all I know of that. But that was way back in the 60s. Yeah, but it isn't the general population. I'm not talking about the increment. I'm talking no. about humans, Americans as a whole. Brookings said, we need to prepare them, and we've had decades of preparation. And they haven't even tried a bit. They've been trying to keep us away from the truth. Well, some have. Remember, there are roosters and owls. 
Uh, on this shot. subject, I'd like to, uh, we have very few minutes, but yeah, in 1965, I saw Frank Edwards on the Alan Burke show in New York, and he said the CIA knows the aliens are here, the aliens are real, flying saucers are real, but the yep. American people can't take it, and they have a plan of seven stages of seven years where the American people are going to be educated and uh, acclimat- acclimatized to the idea and he said, in the next decade, in the 1970s, you're going to see movies with a, a theme about extraterrestrials that will be different from anything you've ever seen. The technology is going to be totally different, and the theme will change from monsters from outer space to more friendly interactions with extraterrestrials. And then we got Robinson Crusoe on Mars, Star Wars and Close Encounters. So that's my say for tonight. And thank you for having me on the show. It was a pleasure. And uh, well, thank we'll find you, Robert. more artifacts soon. So I want to thank Robert Morningstar, who filled in beautifully for Steve Bassett. Steve is still AOL. We will find out and report next Saturday where Steve Bassett is. And I want to thank Ron Gerbron, who filled in brilliantly in just the right amount at the right time with interesting interstitial data. And the most important thing, which is keep your imaginations open, particularly for what you're going to hear next Saturday night. So until then, same time, remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone.